Pinder and Steinberg in the afternoon. Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Hello, everybody. Hello, friends. Welcome to our afternoon party. We're all social distancing, but we're all here together. Pinder, Steinberg, Logan Gordon. Hopefully your Wednesday is going along well. We, You know, it's, it's funny, right? Like, every day... You wake up, you're like, what the heck are we going to talk about? Like, what kind of, is there going to be any sports news at all? And usually there's there's one or two tidbits that we can sink our teeth into, and we will do that here in this segment. But uh, how was your, uh, your Wednesday going, my friend? And we're off to a raring start without Ryan Pinder. Uh, we hey, will try we to get Pinder all hooked up. Yeah, there we are. Uh, did, you hear my, uh, did you hear my opening what retort did- to you? Right okay. as you How are you feeling? That's one that uh, dropped out. There's, I've got a little clue when I drop. I can still hear you, but as soon as you start to stutter, that means you won't hear me anymore. I figured that out. So, uh, okay. there's multiple softwares we can use here. I'll bounce between the two. We'll see what we can get in terms of consistency. Every day seems to be a little different, but uh, doing great. You know, it's lots of family time. It's very different than. I'm trying to imagine myself earlier in life, like as a single play-by-play guy in Abbotsford, BC, faced with a lockdown. I would be going down some very uh, dark paths, I think, rather than just, you know, coloring and wrestling and playing hide-and-go-seek and all that fun what stuff. What kind of dark paths? Uh, I don't know. Maybe just loneliness and depression. Uh, maybe YouTube rabbit holes. I'm not sure, Pat. Uh, I, I'm not there, but I'm... I definitely didn't move to Abbotsford for friends and family. It was to, you know, just do one thing. So if that one thing's taken away from you, what do you have left? I didn't know my neighbors. I didn't know anyone else that lived in my building. Um, you know, you're socially distancing. So, yeah, it, uh, I'm, I feel like I'm, I'm quite lucky uh, compared to uh, situations facing others. Like yourself, by the way, you, uh, you gave me a little peek of your war chest of booze at Chase Steinberg. Holy Toledo. <laughs> Yeah, I'm not going to have any trouble there. Like, I don't need to go. If we ever go into a nationwide lockdown in this country, I don't there. think I'm, that might I don't be the pathway that to get you into trouble. <laughs> if oh, I mean, definitely that that would be a pathway to trouble, for sure. There's no <laughs> doubt about it. I just feel like if we go into a nationwide lockdown, I won't have to go to liquor stores. I'm, no, I'm pretty won't. well stocked in that regard. I think that I could probably do uh, a good long chunk of time lockdown my dad's a wine guy and i've helped him out he runs a competition so i've helped him out um with that and and sometimes you get some some kickbacks in some of the wine um i've uh i've collected over the years um plus i've got my brother used to be a liquor rep so with him being a liquor rep and my dad formerly being a wine rep there's there's plenty of things that you know you're able to get your hands on uh so i've i've collected a good uh a good collection collection of of alcohol so if uh if i need to i'll be fine in that regard because you you had sent the snapchat yesterday you're like all ready to rock and roll hunkering down or whatever you said and then i responded well, i told you yesterday a... i needed some good sipping rum because i had lots of mixing yeah. rum but not so much sipping rum so i went to the liquor store i as soon as i walked in i immediately uh jumped on the purell and then did that as after i left you know we got to be careful when we're out in public uh, and try to make those, uh, you know, appearances as few and far between as possible. But they definitely uh, reestablished the uh, the presence of my favorite rum in the liquor cabinet and was happy to put it in there and send you the video because we talked about it on air. 
And then you responded with, I think, somewhere between 20 and 80 different uh, videos of you panning through different portions of your house. Everything has been converted to liquor space. Your crisper in the fridge is full of beers. Three quarters of like the racks on the, uh, in the center of the fridge are filled with alcohol. You've got like all the cabinets where you would keep, let's say like platters and plates and mugs and bowls and like, it's just all booze everywhere. And then it's like a closet's full of wine. And then you've got like essentially what would be where you, someone would put clothes. That's all booze. Like it just on and on it went. I, it literally started to feel like <laughs> Willy Wonka's factory, except instead of everything being made out of candy, it was just everything made out of booze. I, I don't even know if you have a bed that you have rather than, a nicely organized pile of wine bottles that you've laid a mattress on. I, I don't know. It's incredible. What I do have is a bit of a problem. Uh, there is, uh, <laughs> there's not a lot of people to drink this with me right now. So that could turn into another problem. Uh, but yeah, I certainly am stocked in that regard. It's a good play. Like usually every Canada day, I don't think it'll be this year, but Usually every Canada Day, uh, I'll just invite you know six or seven friends over, and it's free wine for everybody because I've got a ton. So it's like I might as well roll through some of it, and uh, that's usually the Canada Day plan. I don't know if that's going to happen this year, um, but yeah, it's uh, it's certainly. Can you tell that I'm a bachelor? Can you tell that I'm not yeah. married and I don't have kids? I think it's like if going there was back in one time, video that would have shown that it would have been that yesterday. Yeah. Uh, now again, you're you're born in what year? I don't need your mom's maiden name and your date of birth, but just the year eighty four. Yeah. So you're three years younger than me, but I feel like watching your uh, home life is time travel to I want to say six years ago, like twenty fourteen okay. fifteen season. So that uh, maybe even five years ago, before I met my wife, I, I feel like we would have lived very similar lifestyles, like. Very, very basic, um, you know, supplies on the food front, lots of booze if necessary, and minimal um, unnecessary like amenities. No, no trinkets, no throw pillows, uh, no multiple duvets for different seasons. This is, uh, you know, why we want to share our lives with the, the, the fairer of the sexes so that, you know, we can share from each other and enhance our our collections and tastes and uh, our, our ability to live comfortably within walls. I feel as bachelors, you need a place to go crash at the end of the day. And if you need to make a sandwich, you can do it there. And if you, yeah. you have to use a facilities, you can do it there, but otherwise you're happy to just march around and be out in the wilderness with a spear. But that's uh, very different than family living. Agreed. And you can tell that I am not family living as it stands right now. A couple of texts, 960960. No. Where does Pat live? Signed his long lost brother. I don't know. I don't recognize that oh, number. I don't know if you're my brother. I feel like you're hoodwinking me. 9587. I feel like you I feel like you're trying to mislead me. Um Pat drinks. If you've been listening past two weeks though, you know that Pat's in a condo in the belt line. So that's you really do. narrowed it down. And you now also you know that like I live across from a co-op. You know yeah. that as well. Like yeah. you can so now really we're like you, four buildings. Exactly. Like uh, you, you've got a pr one block radius of to exactly uh, where I live. Um, Pat drinks. He needs a girlfriend. Good time to e-date, Pat. Uh, well, I'm doing just fine in that regard. But I do wonder about you know the the e-dating thing. Like if you're if you're doing the Tinder or the Bumble or what's the new one. 
I hinge. Don't ask uh, I hear people are doing. Uh, yeah, you're the you're the married uh, guy. Grinder, uh, grinder, that one? No, no. That I mean that bad? that is that is one that's out there that also exists. Um, but I don't know. I don't know exactly how. Like, what are you doing? Once are you just like? Are you doing FaceTime dates? Are you just texting? I don't know what you're doing in that regard. If you're if you are somebody that meets people online, which I've only ever done it. Doing that right now. Exactly. So, like, are you just like, are you just getting to know them from afar? Are you just doing it virtually? The one time, I I I went through a phase of about six months. I want to say five years ago where I did I did the online dating thing. I did a little Tinder and I did match.com. Um and and I did like it, it was I actually had a very good experience doing it. Um I, I, I met somebody and, and dated that person for about six months and 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 met a lot of cool people like any of the stigma that people talk about with online dating, I actually felt I had a very good experience the one time that I did it. But I don't know how you're doing it now because the whole thing is you talk for uh, a few messages, then you meet up, and then you get to know them like a, a real person uh, in person. I don't know what you're doing now. That's uh, that's that's a bit of a conundrum. Pinder, what what advice do you have as a married man who's never done that before? I don't. I would just say don't do it. You know, you can stick to your. Uh, your Zoom or your FaceTimes or your Skype or your Microsoft Teams, uh, whatever. Uh, I actually got together uh, online virtually with a bunch of uh, fellow general managers of my fantasy hockey league, which of course nobody cares about, but everyone has. Uh, More to the point, just we had about eight guys last night for two hours on a video conference call just to mess around and have a few drinks and catch up and just a nice break and what can be isolating times for folks in terms of just social activity. And I'd highly encourage that uh, free of charge to use those apps. So uh, if you're feeling lonely, that's a good way to spell that. As for the dating thing, like aren't we supposed to limit our contact with people we know, never mind strangers. Well, that's why I'm saying like, you don't, you don't go and hard pods. Exactly. But like, I still think you can get to know people during this time. Like you can still, sure. you, you can still be texting or FaceTiming or, or whatever. Um, so I, I, I feel like there are still ways to do it, but yeah, you don't want to be, there's no bars to meet up at. There's no coffee shops to meet up at right now. So you can't go to a movie, by the way, movies are the worst first date anyway, but you, there's, you really can't go are. to a restaurant. So there's, there's not a whole lot of options out there for you. Uh, Pat, hey, you I designed and built custom someone? furniture. Make sure you go to a movie. What's that? First date. Exactly. Well, you can't, you can't talk at a movie. Sure a movie. Oh, now if you go to a movie and then have like okay. a decompress afterwards and go out for dessert or a, a late night uh, nightcap or whatever. No, that's a place where you can talk about the movie and that can slide into philosophy or, you know, stories about, uh, you know, where you've come from in life. Sure. But like literally meet at the theater, watch the movie and separate. That might be the worst possible way to meet someone. Like it's a great third or fourth date. Like once you've gotten to know the person a little bit, then you can go. Sure. But a first date movie is a horrible idea. Absolutely horrible. Uh, Pat, I design and build custom furniture. Do you want to invest in a custom liquor cabinet? I'll, uh, I'll text you that. That might not be a bad idea. I'll, uh, fire you um, a text a little bit later. I feel like Pat would accept a custom liquor cabinet. Invest might be the wrong verb. Just a suggestion. Well, you want to write, you know, this you could instant? be an ambassador for said custom furniture company. We're talking about Pat no, Steinberg not, here. Yeah. If Jason DeForest got an offer like that, Jay would be trying Let's to just. Go. Like, Let's go. Absolutely get free 
everything from that yes. guy. But I, like, you know, Jay is shameless. Jay's the biggest grease uh, grease ball I've ever seen in that regard. Like he will grease anything and everything, and will do it shamelessly on social media or on the radio. Pinder would be Pinder and Boomer would be the the next runners up in in that regard. And I I kind of don't like doing it. I would I would rather invest. I would rather you know right now money's a little tight. Right now the season's been canceled. Uh, a little tighter around the purse strings in the old Steinberg household. So probably not right now for investing in a custom liquor cabinet. But I wrote that number down um pat how are the pigeons on your balcony i actually think that for another season i have um i've won Uh, so every year it's a battle every year in the early late winter early spring it becomes a battle that's when those vermin decide to start nesting and they start to they start to do their their pre-scout, I want to say, in mid to late January. They start, like, poking around different places, seeing where they can roost for more than two seconds without getting chased off by a broomstick by me. Um, like, they, they, start to, they start to do their pre-scouting in the early parts of the new year. But, like, for instance, if there is a stretch of three games and four nights and they're all 8 o'clock games in January, well, I'm barely home. So they've got they've got hours and hours and hours to start poking around my barbecue and my balcony and my uh, um dollar patio set I bought five years ago. Like they can start to they can start to poke around and find nooks and crannies. And I've done a pretty good job of pigeon proofing it. Like I've got gates up, I've got boxes, I've got like it's tough for them to do, and yet these stupid things still find a way to nestle their way in under, under my barbecue. Uh, so I did have them start to nest a little bit. They didn't lay eggs. Uh, I've had that before where I think on two or three different occasions, they've straight up had a full-on nest and they've had eggs. And, like, there was one time where I literally had to physically push the stupid pigeon off her eggs for it to leave and then dispose of the eggs and so on and so forth. But uh, this time I them just as they were starting to nest, just as they were starting to build the nest, uh, scared them off, cleaned up the uh, the lovely remains that they leave, uh, bleached it, uh, washed it, and did a little more pigeon proofing. Once you scare them off the one time and they know that they can't nest there, they usually don't come back. The trick is, is I've been in this condo now for six years. This is the sixth summer I've been here, and all six years, doesn't know, it doesn't matter how much effort I've put into pigeon proofing my balcony, I always have at least one time where they nest. I've had worse times when I've been less diligent. Now I'm more diligent, so it's less of an issue, but they're, they're still there. They're still a thing, and I still hate them. Do you have one of those, uh, like, uh, fake owls that you can kind of like scarecrow them with, or do you use like Those the don't sheet work. of the spikes that look like needles that they can't sit, they can't land on anything? Uh, I feel like uh, the owls are everywhere. If they didn't work, why are they? Why do you see them everywhere? The owls work temporarily, and then they stop working because the pigeons are actually smarter than their stupid bodies would suggest. Um, they actually, they're like, nope, that owl's not going to hurt me. That owl's fake. They figure it out. Um, so the owl works temporarily. Now, if you're really diligent and you start moving it around, there's ones that uh, actually will move with the wind, so they'll open their wings and stuff like that. Those are a little more effective. But here's, here's a funny story. When I first moved in, the uh, gentleman that uh, that had the place before me, I'm the second owner of this place. He did a great job, by the way, of renoing, and it's a great spot. But he had these CDs hung off the balcony, 
I'm like, what the heck is this? Like, why is this some sort of stupid decoration? So one day I'm just like, yeah, I'm going to cut the idiot. Why would he hang CDs? Turns out that you hang CDs because they reflect light and they scare pigeons away. So it turns out he actually had a good idea, and me cutting him down was really dumb. Um, But I haven't – I've – done the reflector tape a little bit i don't know how effective that is Uh, it's the spikes i hear work um Mm -hmm. and otherwise you just got to be diligent and scare them off i think the the owl is the least effective of all the pigeon proofing methods Mm. um interestingly are you like south facing or west facing or is the whole building on all four sides is dealing with this like why do they what about your specific balconies appealing to them? Is there sunlight? Is there shade? What are they looking for in, in a nest location? So I I face west, mainly west, and a little bit north is the way. I'm on the corner of my building. Um, so I face west and north. And I don't know, like, I, I feel like every balcony has this issue because if they can find okay. a place to shelter themselves, they'll find it. But my, I've got a barbecue with the overhang, and it's jammed up or butted up right into the corner to be near near the gas hookup. So I think they like mine a little bit more because there's more shelter on my balcony than there would be on some others that don't have anything on them. So I think that there's a little bit of that, but I feel like anybody who lives in a condo downtown has had pigeon troubles at one time or another, whether they're as bad as mine, I don't know. Um, But I do, uh, I do think that everybody has had those issues. A couple of texts, um, I'm working from home laughing my ass off at Pat's pure hatred for pigeons. I hate them. I There is nothing that I hate more than those vile vermin. Like, it doesn't matter where I am. I could be in Europe. I could be in the States. I could, like, if I see a pigeon, it just makes me angry inside. There's a, a, a pure hatred that builds. Um, somebody asked, I thought it was illegal to dispose of a nest with eggs. Incorrect. In fact, on the City of Calgary website, they encourage you to dispose of the eggs. So it is not illegal to dispose of a pigeon's nest with eggs. If it was like an endangered bird, sure, but pigeons are an issue, so they encourage you to get rid of the uh, get rid of the eggs. Um, Pat, I can definitely help with your pigeon issues, sort of my job, actually. I'm going to uh, write that number down as well. Uh, I mean, there have been far worse things. Like I, Mine's pretty manageable, but it's still a thing. You don't have to deal with that in your, uh, in your neck of the woods, do you? I don't have a pigeon issue. I don't know why or how, but uh, no. We have, like, the stupid-looking rabbits all over the place, which I have no problem with um, in the sense that they see you and they bolt another direction. Um, and it's usually like late in the night or early in the morning. And then they hide all day because they're afraid of their own shadow. Uh, so the, the um, not many intrusive species we're dealing with here. Bun buns are bad for, uh, they're bad for gardens. My mom's a big gardener. She hates the, the rabbits because they'll come in and they indiscriminately um, eat every plant they can find so bunnies are bad for the the gardening enthusiasts uh, otherwise they're harmless i think they're quite fun um yeah, pat, just, a pigeon uh, is just, just a feathered them, rat did you just call them yeah, bun I buns i did yep that, bun uh, buns. that's what they is are that normal or is that like something that uh, uh, i've never heard of? bun bun it's more of a patism to be perfectly honest with you more of a thing. I don't think it's a normal thing. I think it's more just a okay. me thing. Um, Got that. Pat, a pigeon is just a feathered rat. You are correct. Uh, hey, Pat, how about pigeons dropping ranch dressing instead of poop on your balcony? Well, that's what would just, be worse. You're evil. That would be would my be version of hell. 
I don't know if there is. I don't know if there's anything worse. Um, somebody says skunks have ruined my life, especially in residential spots. Apparently skunks can be awful. Um, oh, yeah. yeah Pat, lucky good. you don't have woodpeckers. Again, residential woodpeckers can be an issue. Uh, I'm with Pat. Rats with wings. Only good pe- pigeon is a dead one. <laughs> morbid um and pat all you got to do is throw a glass of water at them and they'll leave i mean all you got to do is go out in the balcony and they'll leave for the most part you make a little bit of noise and they'll fly away and then if you stay out there for a couple of seconds they won't come back but just they're just annoying like can't you come up with anything better to do than nest in my balcony i i I guess the answer would be no that this is their sole purpose of existence is to procreate. So yeah, that's right. I, I guess this is the only thing that they've got. I just wish that they would go somewhere else. I hate them so much. Um, yeah, interesting. You know, I, I had the big family trip to see the in-laws in Australia over Christmas and in early January. Um, mm-hmm. They have issues with some intrusive species, a little different than, than pigeons and, you know, birds and bugs and things like that. They, uh, they had some pythons in the rafters in the roof and possums sneaking in under the uh the roof as well just a uh, little different level there never mind the into the house the the, yeah just right under the roof that's where they like to hide oh my lord yeah and aren't kangaroos kind of a problem over there like don't aren't they overpopulated uh, they're 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 not struggling they're the, the these are uh these are bull markets, the, the, these times for the kangaroos. They're doing just fine. Uh, the in-laws They're have wallabies right. that come eat their grass. <laughs> the wallabies are like the smaller kangaroos. They look like um, toy kangaroos or stuffed kangaroos. They're tiny. And they're do, you know the, uh, do you know who the most famous wallaby of all time is? Uh, would that be a rugby player for Australia? No, the f- most famous wallaby of all time is Rocco from Rocco's Modern Life, the cartoon from the 1990s. That is the most famous wallaby of all time. Just a stunner. I missed that. Uh, <laughs> they'd come eat the grass. You've never seen it, have you? you? No, I haven't. You, you make like any noise. Like you snap your fingers and they bolt. So they're not really <laughs> annoying at all. Not like pigeons. Sorry, I didn't get your um, wallaby joke. If you grew up in the 1990s and you watched cartoons, you probably knew about Rocco's Modern Life, unless you only watched avant-garde cartoons like Ryan Pinder did growing up. Brad no, Living, well, general manager like of the, the Calgary Flames. Would it be like the Australian equivalent to like the raccoons, where in Canada we watched the raccoons, but there it was just wallabies? Like well, I just I, they, they had it on YTV. It was a it was a I believe I on like Sunday evenings every every yeah. Sunday. Rocco's Modern Life. He had a, it was like it was like SpongeBob before SpongeBob. He was talking really? wallaby with an Aussie accent, and then a, a oh, cow, and his name was Heifer. It's a good name for cow. Hey Hef. hey Hef, it's me, Rocco. Um, that was <laughs> the that was pretty much the gist of the show um brad true living general manager of the calgary flames coming up this hour also we'll check in with jeff snyder and a live conversation with the one and only craig conroy coming up at three o'clock today that was a uh, i had sports things written down pinder we didn't touch on any of them we've got lots of things to, to touch them. on it's as the program continues. just like your booze we got to save it we got to ration you don't do it all at once Gonna spread it out evenly, small doses, little nibble here, little sip there, shot of that for later. Don't drink it all. Brad for Living, General Manager of the Flames, coming up next. Sports at 960 the fan. Calgary guys talking Calgary sports. Pinder and Steinberg are only on Sportsnet 960 the fan. 
If you missed it earlier this morning, the general manager of the Calgary Flames, Brad Treliving, has stopped by the gang on the morning show uh, with Boomer Brent Cron and Will Nault. It was a uh, 27-minute conversation. Whole thing is up on sportsnet.ca slash 960 right now. Uh, all kinds of different topics to discuss with the GM of the Calgary Flames. Uh, here's a portion of that chat. Boomer, Will Nault, Brent Cron with GM Brad Treliving of the Calgary Flames. What's on your daily sked? Are you keeping in touch with anybody on a routine daily basis uh, from your staff or with your team or anything? Oh, yeah, you're trying to stay. I think it's important. You try to keep, as you talked about, your body active, but your mind active, too. And, and so um, as much as we can, it's been, it's been fairly busy. Um, you know, we, a couple things. Internally, we've, we've tried to keep, not tried to keep, we have kept our scouting staff busy. At the end of the day, we've tried to take the, the, the mentality that we're going to come out of this. We don't know when, but... You know, there's an opportunity here to, to hopefully, you know, take advantage of, especially on our scouting side. So when we look at, you know, at some point there's going to be a draft. So we've, you know, our, our amateur scouts are working both, um, you know, to, to refine the list, but also expand it through video and, and making sure that we've got a number of viewings. And, and if there's crossover viewings that need to be done, we've outlined a pretty extensive video um, you know, sort of some video work that they're going to do as well as, you know, a lot of background work still is, is ongoing. A lot of the interview process that would normally take place face-to-face is going on, um, whether it be on the phone, FaceTime. Mm-hmm. So the, the amateur staff is, is dug in pretty good. And then the same thing with the pro staff. We're going back and, and really watching games, whether it be the American Hockey League, whether it be, um, you know, project work that we're, we're studying on, on NHL players. So that's, that's really the, the scouting work that will continue to happen and needs to happen. Um, and then, you know, just our, you know, the regular day is we try to get an update, not try, we get an update to, the, to all of our guys each day um, through information of the NHL or anything else that we've heard or, or you know, just making sure that we're keeping everybody as, as informed as we possibly can. And then daily I make sure that I'm talking to you know, obviously our management group on a daily basis, um, touching base with members of the coaching staff, just picking um, a couple, three members of our staff, scouting staff that I'll phone directly, and then um, players I'm, I'm texting on a regular basis or, or talking to. So it's important, I think, in times like these that there's a lot of uncertainty. Sometimes, you know, sometimes with that comes comes stress and it comes worry and you're trying to, to ease people's fears and keep them informed um, as much up to the minute as you can. So that's, you know, the league league does a good job of having regular calls for the managers. And so we're, we're, we're staying busy and business has, has, has moved on. We've signed a couple of guys um, last week and, you know, there's always stuff to do uh, as there is stuff around the house. There's always stuff to do to figure out how we can make ourselves um, you know, stay busy, but also yeah. find projects to do to, to, to help the team so no, that we're a little be... bit ahead of it when we get out yeah. of Yeah. Now, the GMs uh, had a, a conference call yesterday. What, I mean, what kind of hard conversation can there be? Because my guess is it's more questions than answers. It's co- another week of contingency goes out the window. Uh, what was covered on the GM call yesterday? 
Yeah, sort of like that, Boom. It's the, lots of questions that were answered, and the league does a really good job. Bill, Bill Daly and Gary Bettman were both, um, you know, giving an update. Um, but the prevailing, the prevailing comment is there's just there's a lot of uncertainty right now. It's it's you know we're we're at that stage where you know the league is no different than you know any other segment of the population. We just don't know. You know this as we go through this. So, um, you know, there's, there's certainly hope, um, and a lot of planning of, of, of how it would happen and that the league would come back and complete our season. But to say when or if and how, um, yeah. it's just unknown right now. So they, 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 they do a great job of just sort of keeping everybody as apprised as they can of, um, you know, whether there's new information throughout the league or, or, you know, potential planning and all those types of things. But um, it's there's just too much uncertainty. We don't know yet. Obviously, there's going to be some change to the calendar when you talk about not just the playing of games, but, you know, you've got a draft that's upcoming. You've got awards banquets. You've got all the critical dates that happen within the NHL calendar that are going to have to be altered. But And, and, and those will in time. But right now, um, there's just no different than anywhere else. There's just a lot of uncertainty, and, and we'll see what happens. He's Brad Treliving, GM of the Calgary Flames, our guest here on uh, Boomer in the Morning, Sports at 960, the fan. Will? Brad, I, I know just based on your last answer, it's probably silly for me to even ask, but as you mentioned, the calendar being what it is with the draft kind of in June, and, and obviously you don't know what the resumption of your season looks like if there is one. Uh, but I, I just, you know, comparing other leagues is tough. The NFL draft comes up in April, and GMs are asking the league to push it back, and there has been, you know, resistance from the league to do that. I guess just from your position as a GM, you mentioned the meetings, the prospects can't go face-to-face necessarily. Scouting has been taken away. A Memorial Cup's been cancelled. How, how does the draft affect it? And I guess just your thoughts on, on the draft going in June and, and I guess, you know, kind of what that might look like if all 31 GMs can't be on the draft floor together and if you're doing it from the Dome in Calgary. How does that change things? Well, a few things, Will. I think for us, we're preparing, you know, as I said earlier, we've, we've, we've engaged you know, pretty hard with our amateur guys and given them sort of planned out our next couple of months here of, of, of work. And we're preparing with the drafts going to go on as normal. Now, um, again, we don't know. So I, I don't, I don't look at it as, you know, sure that the end of the season was, was cut down, but for the most part, you've got, you know, you got three quarters of the season done in terms of your amateur scout viewings. Now there's, like I said, there's a great opportunity right now to, to dig deeper on our list and, and like I said, get, get guys really exposed maybe on crossover situations where, where, where we need to. But the bulk of your work is done. The bulk of your work is done. You're, you know, in a lot of those viewings, when you talk about Memorial Cups or, um, you know, even the under-18 tournaments, uh, which is a big tournament, the World Under-18 tournament in April every year is a, is a really heavily scouted event. Um, but th- that's not your first viewing of guys. You, so, so it, 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 you, you know, you're, you're finalizing, you're sort of putting the last chapter of the book in. Um, but we're going to complete all that. And, and a big piece is just going to be a lot of the, you know, a lot of the intel that you do in terms of talking to people surrounding these, uh, these players and, and digging for information and interviewing them. Um, so we're going to, we're going to operate just as business as usual without going to the rink. Uh, 
and we, we're going to be prepared whenever that draft takes place. Now, you know, probably, and, and again, they haven't, they just don't know um, specifics or how it's going to work, but I would assume personally that there's going to be some alterations to, to the draft, whether that means, you know, people are going to, we're going to ha- hold it similar to the NFL where, you know, everybody's in their home cities and, you know, that, that how it would impact it. There's not that personal connection with managers or talking, but it's quite honestly, guys, and, and, and you've been at the draft, you know, a lot of it is uh, you, you arrive there. I usually get in on the Tuesday of the draft and, I mean, you leave, you leave your room basically for meals and, you know, you're just sitting, you're holed up in the, in the, in the hotel room and making calls and, and meeting with your staff, you know, finishing off your amateur list, if there's anything to, to tweak on there and then you meet with your pro guys. So I don't know how much different it'll be with, a, uh, other than there's, you're not going to be on the floor with people and having that face to face contact. So I think it's still a little bit premature for all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but we've 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 made it clear to our guys there's lots of work to be done yet, and we're just going to be doing it from home and and be ready as we normally would when the draft gets here. Boom asked you about the uh, the, the contact with your with your staff and maybe with your coaching staff on a daily basis. Brad, have you talked to your any of your players gone back to Europe or are most of them still in the city? Yeah, most of them are still in the city. We've had we've had a number of players go home, and we support that. You know. Uh, especially in the thing you have to keep in context. And I know we talk about these guys as professional athletes that that they are and, and the great lifestyle that they lead, but you you get into a situation like that and it hits home how young a lot of these kids are. And and basically when this thing happened, it was, you know, we all kind of watched it in real time. I remember the Wednesday night we were playing the Thursday. So on Wednesday night, you know, you're watching the games from around the league and, and, you know, the NBA player gets, you know, sick and they call the game. And and we, I was in the office early Thursday morning and we get a note that there's no, um, there's no morning skate and just to get everybody home. And from that moment on, those guys, you know, there's a, there's a stick sp- stuck right in the spoke of their life um, in terms of the routine. And they're so routine driven. And a lot of these guys are still 20, 21, 22 years old and, so a couple of days into it, you know, they're sitting in a lot of cases in apartments by themselves because we had to, we, you know, we put everybody on self quarantine. Um, so they were, they were, you know, to get back to their families and get around their families, I thought was really important. So we've, we've got a list here. I don't have it right in front of me. I, I think we've got seven or six or seven guys that have gone home. Um, and then the remainder of the guys are still in the city. Brad Treliving, Flames GM, is our guest here on Sportsnet. Um, just going back to the draft, and again, we're, we're we're just flying by the seat of our pants. Again, I'll say it. I I don't see how there is a draft that is the the, the traditional way. It was supposed to be in Montreal. Uh, I just don't see that happening. So if the if the draft takes place where all the teams are in their respective cities and and are holed up together. You are a guy who likes to get some work done at the draft. We talked about it even at the trade deadline, that there's some deals to be made, but generally those off-season deals are easier to get done. Not being face-to-face, just for you on a, from a strategic and from a, uh, from a standpoint of negotiation, does that, does that hamper you at all, hinder you at all in, in terms of not being face-to-face? 
It's a great question. Uh, probably the best answer is I don't know. Uh, I do. I do think the draft is a great time to do to get business done for for a number of reasons, as everybody does. You know, you you've got a fresh look at. You know, everybody's at the same. You know, starting line where you can you can you can deal with everybody. You've got a fresh. Um, you know, sort of everybody's starting at square one in terms of the cap. You've got a lot of you know everybody's whatever expiring contracts you have coming off. So. Uh, the greatest financial flexibility, number one, is is that in the summertime, um, and you know there is there is that you know there is that piece of being able to you know sit across the table from somebody and yeah. and or even on the floor just you know sort of connect with guys and there's always that you know there's always a little bit of the game within the game involved when you you're you've got a few things on the go and you're kind of watching who's talking to whom and and those types of things. But um, I think you're still, you know, the business is going to get done. And as I said earlier, boom, a lot of, you know, a lot of that week is spent, um, you know, hold up in your, in, in your individual room and suite and, and sort of making your calls. So um, I love the draft. I really do. I think it, I think our sports unique in the fact that we bring everybody together and uh, um, you know, the ability to, to, to have the whole league together and those two days on the floor where you've got, you know, everybody that you, you're able to interact with and get business done. And, and if you need to go see, you know, Doug Armstrong, you, you get up and you walk 50 feet and you go see Doug Armstrong. If you need to talk to a manager, you can just walk over and talk to him. Um, so I think there's some uniqueness to it. Um, I think it's, you know, it's always the, there's a lot of hope at the draft. Everybody, you're, you're, you're introducing new players, but um, I think we'll be able to, you know, you're going to be able to get business done as normal course, but it would be new. It would be a new, new situation we'd have to see. But I think, I think, you know, I don't think it's going to prevent deals and, and business getting done at all. From earlier today, the general manager of the Calgary Flames, Brad Trilliving, with Boomer Brent Cron, Will Nault on the morning show. He joined the boys on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline. The bar may be closed to patrons during these trying times, but they are open for business. Pickup or delivery is available by calling 403-248-3344. That's 248-3344. And, uh, Mr. Pinder, uh, when it comes to business getting done, you heard Brad talking about the draft. We don't know what the situation is going to look like when it comes to the NHL draft this year. Uh, I heard an interview or a conference call, actually, with Alexis Lafreniere, the projected number one overall pick. He's just kind of saying that you can't control this. He's just going to do the best he can, and whatever happens, happens. But it's one thing that, you know, right now we're talking about potentially games being played in August and the NHL asking teams about arena availability in August. Well, if if that's the case, can you do the draft before the season restarts again? Like, I, I, I honestly don't know how that all plays out this year. Well, it's one of a huge amount of, I guess, technicalities they have to sort out. If you're a player whose contract expires June 30 and you're a free agent uh, July 1, or maybe it's June 31, I have no idea. Uh, but it's safe to say, if you're expected to be a free agent July 1, let's say you're in great health, are you really willing to risk injury heading into a potential huge payday? Uh, what does a cap look like? I mean, there there are so many things that have to be sorted out. And even on the draft front, no what's going to happen with all these conditions? How do you how do you measure you know uh, a lot of these conditions that were thrown out there? I, I get the sense we're going to have all kinds of compensatory picks thrown around at the end of each round, to tr- where the NHL will try to do their best job of making an educated guess, or if teams are 
Um, you know, we're in a tough spot where they uh, didn't get what they thought they would get. They might picks moved in, not unlike what we see in baseball, where there's essentially a compensatory round after round one, where the league can then try to even things out. NFL's the same way with free agents lost. Uh, there's uh, a lot of technicalities to sort out beyond just the draft and who's eligible mm-hmm. to play when. I feel like probably one of the easier things, but yeah, what does the draft look like? Is there a combine? How do you do physical testing with players at all if we're in a worse spot than we are now? Um, and then, of course, uh, until we see a peak and cases starting to decline on a daily basis with regularity, uh, how can we even start to put any of these things on a calendar? Because that seems to be the takeaway that Chris Johnson had with his conversation with uh, you know, the chief medical advisor to the league is that until there's a peak, there's, there, you, you may as well burn your calendars. Like there's no point trying to do anything until you know you have an idea of a time frame. And as long as the case load keeps increasing, we're not getting any yep. closer to anything happening. If, when the opposite happens, that's when you could start to really put some, I guess, contingency plans in place. Top of the hour, Craig Conroy, Assistant General Manager of the Calgary Flames. We'll ask him a couple of things, like Brad Living, for instance, gave Conroy a ton of credit when it came to the two college free agents the team signed late last week. We can talk a little bit about that, but uh, we've got Brett Hall stories that we need to ask Craig Conroy about. Uh, he played in Montreal. He played in St. Louis. Last time we talked to him a week ago, we got some outstanding stories on the 04 Cup run. A ton of things to talk about with the one and only Craig Conroy, that's at the top of the hour, but Jeff Snyder is coming your way around the corner. His regular Wednesday slot is next. It's Pinder and Steinberg on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Pinder and Steinberg continues on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Probably got to pull Jeff Snyder away from uh, a workout. He's probably smack dab in the middle of lifting couches and throwing around other things around his house to stay fit. Our uh, Calgary Roughnecks analyst and the head of Elevate Lacrosse joins us Wednesdays on the program and joins us today. Hi, Snides. Uh, are you in the middle of a workout right now? Dude, I'm going to look like the big Lebowski when I come out of quarantine here. You wait. It's <laughs> good. That's it's going to be messy. Uh... It's going to be messy. The workouts are running slow. <laughs> You're not uh, – uh, look, and, and in all seriousness, I know there's a lot of people worried about, you know, fitness and, and eating right are, are big parts of their lives. It's it's more difficult to do so in in situations like this. How how are you – I know that – for instance, is you? You're pretty. Uh, you're pretty strict when it comes to your um, your fasting and your your keto diet, and and obviously a big workout guy. How how has self isolation treated you, knowing that you've had to make a, a ton of adjustments here? Uh, it's it's interesting. I'm you know I'm I'm pretty much you know I'm kind of one meal a day. I kind of snack. I eat at like six. I snack from like you know whatever until maybe you know midnight, and then I won't eat again the next day until six. I'll have some coffees and. That's about it. I've got a great uh, corn. We, Sean Hope Ross put together a corn training uh, program. So it's all body weight stuff and, you know, ab work and footwork and, and uh, you know, I get out and run. I haven't, I haven't ran anywhere since July of 2018 in Israel. So that was unique for me. And, and it put me on the shelf for a couple of days, but I'm getting back at it. So, um, yeah, man, it's just discipline. I think it's, you know, when you get bored, you eat. When you get lonely, you eat. Um, but, um, you know, I'm trying to keep this figure in check, keep up with you guys. I, I walk into that studio with, uh, with you and Pinder and I just feel bad about myself all the time because you guys are so shredded. Yeah. So, um, you know, yeah. motivation for me. 
Yeah, Pinder and Steinberg, the shredded afternoon show. That's what everybody calls us. You're, you're bang on. <laughs> I, uh, I'm with you. I like. I'm used to. I'm used to running on treadmills. Um, I, I go to a. I, I go to a spot regularly. A kind of a. Um, a circuit training spot, so a big part of it is running and, and doing um, interval training on the treadmill. But I went running and, and did about half an hour on Sunday and went for about a 90-minute run with, with breaks on Saturday. And, and I'm with you. It knocked me right out of commission. Like running on the ground and not running on a treadmill, when you're over 30, you're like, oh, boy, that takes a toll on your body. I was not expecting that. Like, Monday and Tuesday, I was I was hurting for certain. Like, it was it was a uh, it was a rough recovery. Well, I heard a uh, I heard a great quote the other day from a friend of mine that said, uh, you know, I'm either running towards a sale at duty or I'm running away from something that's potentially going to hurt me. And that's the only time I run. <laughs> so I thought I thought that was pretty good. <laughs> Well, I'm glad that you're uh, you've been able to uh, keep up with uh, some of your workouts, and and I, I I honestly think like you can stay active and you can stay in shape when you're self isolating and and you're not able to get to the gym, you're not able to necessarily be as active as you'd like or or go through things, you know, live your life the way that you're used to, but. I am the biggest challenge, and and it's the challenge that I've hit a couple of times. The biggest challenge is is the mental side of it. You've got to find a way to keep yourself motivated and and actually do that workout. It's easy, as you said, to just have something to eat or sit down on the couch and throw on Netflix. Or but it's and and it's not easy. Um, and I don't necessarily have great tips for it. But I, I think the mental battle is the biggest thing when it comes to staying active and and getting workouts in during a situation like this. I think we're all sort of bound to our routine. Um, you know, we're all creatures of habit. And, and you know, the big thing for me, I think that I'm getting out of this, and we talk about it a lot in our program with our kids, is, you know, is, is, is adversity. This is going to change the world, and it, it already has. And coming out of this, things are going to be a lot different as well. And, you know, it's okay to be bored. Um, you know, boredom, you know, in your profession, boredom in your life, boredom in terms of what you're going through right now, it's, it stimulates a lot of self-reflection, I personally feel, and, and a lot of opportunity to kind of dig into, you know, who you really are and what you actually want to do. And I think that there's going to be a lot of changes that, that come out of this for people, which is a really positive thing. Um, you know, I've, I've, uh, I, I just don't know how you don't lean into this adversity right now. And, and you know, it's what, this is something that I think could be really positive or, or really negative, depending on how you want to look at it. And that's kind of the message that we're, you know, trying to share with the community as much as we can through Elevate or personally or just when we're talking to kids, um, you know, as they reach out for guidance and their NCAA process or whatever that may be is, you know, man, dig into this because this is something that we've never experienced before. Um, you know, it's certainly, you know, I, I doubt there are many people in the world that have, that have you know, experienced something like this uh, to date if you go back mm-hmm. in history. Um, but, you know, the reality is, is that there's a lot of adversity taking place right now. And at the end of the day, um, you know, leaning into that adversity is ultimately going to make you a better person, better athlete, better professional, better businessman. Um, and, and I think that we're seeing that all over the place. Um, you know, the community is, this Calgary community is fantastic. And I think there's a lot of real positive stuff going on here. And, um, you know, it's, you know, just the adversity in itself and, and what we're facing here collectively is ultimately going to produce, um, you know, better kids, better people, better parents, um, and a better community ultimately. 
He's Jeff Snyder from Elevate Lacrosse. He joins us every Wednesday. It's usually our Calgary Roughneck Spotlight, but obviously no sports, no lacrosse going on right now. Uh, but the the main message you talked about the adversity, and you talked about how this is going to and already has changed the world. And and I think you know your message is very similar to. Pretty much every other message, stay inside when you can. You, d- you don't need, specifically when it comes to group gatherings. You just, those things, the, we, we can we can put those on hold for now, right? Absolutely, I, and I don't know why we wouldn't. You know, and, and again, I'll, I'll, like, I'll take a bit of ownership of that as well. Like, I've, I've been outside. I haven't been, um, you know, around people as much. But, you know, yeah, go and walk your dog, um, but stay away from people. You know, walk into a grocery store and... You know, you shouldn't have it, – it's great that you see it, but, I, 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 you know, I needed some things the other day. went by myself to the grocery store, and I saw a security guard reminding people to, you know, clean your hands off. Um, you know, be a good citizen. Make sure that you're not, you know, touching everything and, and you know, contributing to what's going on here. I saw a, a stat online that, you know, over 50% of the cases in Canada now are community-related rather than, um, you know, travel-related, um, which is shocking um, because, you know, personally, I – um, you know, I'm tied into someone who's, uh, you know, immunocompromised right now and, and, you know, maybe not everybody is. And I recognize that there's, you know, that, that everybody's trying to keep sane and, and, uh, you know, trying to, you know, to do their part, but, you know, if someone gets sick and you can't go and, and take, you know, a relative groceries that is potentially battling, you know, a, a, a condition, um, you know, that spreads through a family, whatever it may be. I think that the, you know, and, and as Canadians, this is, you know, you look at what's going on in the United States. I spoke with a friend who's, who's uh, a squash player, um, you know, who can't go out and teach lessons. He can't earn his income, you know, uh, uh, you know playing squash and, and coaching squash because New York is literally a ghost town. And if that's any, yeah. you know, if that's any consideration for what the magnitude of this thing looks like, um, you know, you have a responsibility to, you know, to, um, you know, being a, a citizen in our community to make sure that you're doing your part. And, you know, that means limiting your interaction with, um, you know, with people and, and, you know, making sure that you're, you know, you're limiting your contact when you're out and about. Um, and, you know, I think that we're all capable of this. And I think, you know, out of respect too, I got a, I got a mother who's, you know, in the operating room, um, you know, working and, and going to work. And there's a lot of people, our first responders are out there, you know, putting, you know, their, their, you know, their health and well-being on the line, um, you know, to make sure that they're managing the situation in the hospitals. And, and, you know, it's not, you know, maybe it's not necessarily about getting sick, but overwhelming the system um, and making sure that we're taking into consideration other people. And that's what being Canadian is all about. And I especially think a Calgarian. We've gone through, you know, a lot over the last little while in terms of our economy and, um, you know, this adversity and dealing with this adversity and living in this wonderful city that we do um, is, is a big part parcel of what we're cut out to be and who we are. And that's why we live here. And that's why we, you know, we love being here. So, uh, you know, I would challenge everybody, especially the lacrosse community. That's the only you know, real community that you know, we're really tied into here with respect to sports. But, you know, challenging all the lacrosse players, keep your stick in your hands and, you know, you know, just make sure that your your stick is only in your hands and it's not in anybody else's. And at the same time, you know, make sure you're limiting your space and, and being mindful and respectful of everybody in the community. Well said, my friend. Uh, a final thought for you. How, you know, you're you're very tied into, as you talk about the lacrosse community in Calgary, and a big thing that you have been a, a huge part of is helping young lacrosse players 
further their lacrosse careers and further their education with scholarships in the NCAA and being able to head to the United States with, with what's going on right now. How does recruiting change? How do scholarships get affected? All that type of stuff. What are we seeing right now in that regard? Yeah, I've been in contact with a number of different coaches. Um, you know, most recently, uh, yesterday, I had a FaceTime call with, uh, with Coach Ray, you know, former Calgary Roughneck, um, and he's now the head coach at St. Joe's University, just kind of talking about what that landscape looks like moving forward. I think one thing that um, I think the NCAA has done a very good job of is they granted a fifth year um, for those seniors that had their years canceled. Um, it does mm-hmm. a strain on the system, on the, on the front of the system when you've got you know, kids that are supposed to enroll in their first year um, this coming September and how that looks, you know, the NCAA will be managing that accordingly. But I think the biggest thing is that there's recruiting events that are going to be taking place, um, you know, this coming season for kids that are uncommitted. Um, so I'm not sure what that'll look like from an NCAA rule perspective if the kids will be granted another year as a postgraduate to be able to market themselves to institutions. Um, but we're going to have our hands full. Um, you know, this thing, when this curve does flatten and, and, you know, we get back to a little bit of normalcy in respect to our day-to-day, um, you know, we're certainly going to have our hands full with guidance and counseling. Um, you know, we already do. Um, but that being said, um, you know, this summer season is an important season for lacrosse in the recruiting period. And uh, it will, you know, it, it, the coaches are concerned about, you know, being able to get out and start recruiting their junior and senior classes. And there are still some schools that are still looking for, you know, kids. I'm getting, I'm getting emails from coaches asking for, you know, 2020 graduates, um, which is this summer, um, looking for enrollment in the fall. So, um, you know, now more than ever, it's an important time. If you're an NCAA athlete out there right now and you're, you know, you're listening or for parents that are, you know, the biggest thing you can do is make sure that you maintain your communication with NCAA coaches. If you've got videotape, put it together and, um, you know, make sure that you're reaching out and, and staying fresh on the top of the minds of these coaches. And, and that doesn't change. Um, if anything, it just helps your cause. And, and coaches are probably more likely to, you know, roll the dice on a videotape now than they would be than ever before. Um, so in all sports, I would suggest just make sure that you communicate effectively and, and make sure that you've got your video prepared and your grades and, and, you know, if you're writing SATs or have to rewrite them, you know, make sure that you're on top of all that stuff and prepared to hit the ground when we're, uh, you know, given the green light to get back out and do those things. Good stuff, Snides. Appreciate it. We'll talk to you next week, pal. Always a pleasure. Stay healthy. Hope you guys are doing great. Look forward to chatting with you soon. Thanks, Snides. Jeff Snyder from Elevate Lacrosse. Check him out at elevatelacrosse.com. Uh, and also our Calgary Roughnecks analyst. And hopefully soon we'll be able to bring him back and actually be analyzing the Calgary Roughnecks and the National Lacrosse League. He joins us on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline. The bar closed to patrons during these trying times, but are open for business overall. Pickup delivery available now at Atlas Pizza by calling 403-248-3344. That's 248-3344. The one. The only Craig Conroy is next on Pinder and Steinberg, Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Back to Pinder and Steinberg, Calgary Sports Talk in the afternoon. Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Mr. Pinder, I will will readily admit that the last time that we spoke with this gentleman one week ago, Text Line was a pretty big fan uh, when Craig Conroy joined us last week. At this time, we talked about some... 
2004 Stanley Cup final stories, and uh, we got some uh, some good sound bites from Conroy. So we'll see if uh, the assistant general manager of the Calgary Flames can outdo himself this afternoon. Mr. Conroy, how are you? Good, good. How are you guys doing? We're um, hanging in here. We're doing our yeah, best. Like it's, it's the we're new normal. About pigeons now. Yeah. Sure. Major pigeon issues. Yeah. I've, I, Look, you live in a condo downtown. You got to deal with pigeons. It's like a it's like a yearly battle. I've been in this condo for six years, and every spring you have to fight these things off. They try to nest and find their way into your barbecue. It's it's uh, it's an urban hazard, Connie. That's unbelievable. I never guess. I never thought about it. <laughs> that would be a pain. They are. They could be a pain for sure. <laughs> Start nesting now, and Connie, lay eggs. It's just. It's no good. Dennis Weidman uh, called me a pigeon. What does that mean? Well, that mean, that's not a good thing. That, no. <laughs> that's not a good thing. I don't know if you want to remember his. I think I call Ryan Leslie a pigeon, season. too, so it's not a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> I was uh, not hesitant to point out he was on the ice for like a brutal goal against for about eight games in a row that second last season. I don't know that uh, we saw eye to eye on his play at the end of his time in Calgary. <laughs> <laughs> I can actually see that. I might have stole the pigeon thing from Wise. You know, Wise was awesome. He, uh... <laughs> Yeah, we get a little sensitive, but we get sensitive. We just throw out the pigeon thing because no one really likes pigeons. So I think that's part no, it's, of it. <laughs> it's pretty universal. It's a, the my 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 most funny Weidman story ever, and and I still think that this grinds Labardius's gears a little bit. But uh, had Labardius on the air, it was after uh, a World Junior game, so it would have been late December, early January, a number of years ago, and it was the Canada Finland game, and I think. Finland won the game 6-5. It was in Finland. The Finns went on to win the gold that year. And we were just talking about how great a game it was. And Lou was going on about how only in junior hockey, only at this tournament can you get games like that, that type of stuff. So we go in the locker room. It was either the same day or the next day. It must have been the next day. And Weidman was listening to that hit. And he goes, hey, Labardius, if you love junior so much, why don't you go back and ride the bus <laughs> He he's, he does that in the middle of the locker room to Labardius, and uh, Lou was not having it. He was uh, he he was not the happiest of campers with that remark. Oh, I, you know that's that's the one thing about why like if if you said something or you misquoted something or you did like he was quick, very quick. Like you know him and Bob used to have spar back and forth, and uh, I'll admit he was he's one of my favorite guys though. I mean, and the one thing about him, he's like very smart hockey wise like not much went got past wise like you'd say hey you got to do this or that then he would come back with something you're like what that kind of makes more sense than what i just said to him like you know that that's what it was with (laughs) with dealing with him but he's quick and he's smart and he he knew the game really well you know and he had the him and bob didn't see eye to eye early then they got along really well and then it went sideways a little bit again at the end Yeah, he was a uh, he was a beauty. One of my uh, he always gave you a good quote, and he was always ready to uh, chirp you if you deserve chirping, which uh, usually uh, everybody in the media deserves every once in a while. Craig Conroy is with us. Hey, we had uh, 
Brad Living was on the morning show today. We had him on on Friday after your team signed a pair of college free agent, couple of left shot defensemen, and Brad was very quick to talk about your role and uh, your impact in doing that. Gave you a ton of credit. So take us to the process of signing Colton Pullman and Connor Mackey, a couple of free agent uh, college free agent defensemen. You know, it's amazing. Like it, it starts so you know, like everybody thinks, oh, maybe just on that day when you sign them, but you're really building relationships with these guys. You're trying to make them feel comfortable. I mean, even for, uh, you know, with Connor Mackey, he came to our development camp. I'm not even sure what year, like it was so long ago. Uh, Jimmy, Jimmy Cummins found him, like said, Hey, this is a guy we got to invite to development camp. And, and then after that, we get to know him. And then he went in USHL. He played, you know, every, kind of everywhere he kept getting better kept getting better so we've been building that relationship over time and then when uh, uh billy powers came on board as our college guy jimmy's like hey this is a guy to watch and then i mean we just been building that relationship and it's weird with with him particular particularly i i, I offered him three contracts <laughs> so i'm glad he took the third one because the third one was uh three strikes and you're out uh, he just, uh, it was one where last year when they got knocked out, he got kicked out of the game. I was actually at the game uh, with Billy and, you know, to lose, they had one of the better teams, you know, they're thinking they're going to go to the, the final four. Uh, they just take a bunch of penalties. It doesn't go well. They end up losing that game. He got kicked out. He hit a guy. I mean, he just hit a guy hard. He didn't like, but he's a bigger guy. So it looked like kind of a little bit of a headshot in, in the NCAA they kick you right out. It's mm-hmm. it's disappointing, but that's what they do. So I think he was upset about that, but he, you know, so he kind of said, hey, he went back with the team, just said, hey, I'm not going to come out this year. I'm going to go back for my, my junior year. And I thought, oh, okay, you know, that was a lot of work not to get him. And then when we had the injury with Balamaki, I called him in August and said, well, I know you're getting ready for school here <laughs> in about three weeks, but would you have any, uh, you know, would this be something? And they, they took probably three or four days and they were pretty interested, but I think he had, he really did want to go back and try to win a national championship with the, with his guys. They all went back. So again, I missed out. So I'm like, man, this is painful. So to actually uh, get it done this time, it feels like, you know, it, it was a, a long time coming, but definitely, uh, you know, excited that we got it done and, and brought him in because Brad's mandate going into the year was, Hey, we have to try, we haven't, you know, we're losing Fox, you know, in the trade, we really didn't have many, uh, deep prospects as far as draft picks and that. So that was one of the priorities going in. We needed to, to find, you know, college, college guys or European guys, whatever it might be. Uh, we got to supplement in that, you know, with that. So long story short, Going into the season, you know, uh, Pullman, Colt Pullman was one of the guys high on Billy's list too. So the two of them are like right at the top of the list. And, you know, to be able to kind of go and get them both was uh, pretty special for us. We feel like, hey, we got two, you know, high-end quality individuals. I mean, I think, I forget, I think when we went to watch both those guys play against each other, I'm like, oh, this is going to be a great weekend. And I went down and saw Colton after the games and, and just spoke to him and got a feel. And, you know, you talk to the coaches and with Brad Pascal's relationship with North Dakota, you know, that definitely uh, when you hear those guys talk about Colton, I mean, out of the 14 years, I think he's, uh, you know, the coach has been there. He said, this is one of the highest, 
character guys that we've had in our program and they've had some unbelievable players go through there. So yeah. to hear them say that, uh, you know, and that's, you just like the player, he work, you know, the compete, the, he's going to do everything for the team, like the way he trains, the way he does everything, you know, he's already a pro in their mind. You know, he's like the guy you don't have to say anything to, you got to pull him back a little bit. So to get two guys like that, uh, you know, especially left D, you'd think, oh, you know, but, that's what they're about. They're about, Hey, we want to come compete and we want to, we want to win with the Calgary flames. So it's pretty exciting to, to get those guys uh, because last year we didn't end up getting any college guys. And it, it does, but you have 107 points. And if t- people don't think you have a weakness, they're not going to sign with you. So, I mean, it's a good thing that people didn't want to sign with us, but in this situation, I mean, it's so hard. You saw us go get the two D right at the trade deadline. And it was, a, it's something that we need. We're just lacking that in the organizational depth and uh you know now we feel we've really secured that up with, with those two guys it's funny you, you talk about the process of signing connor to that to to finally getting him to agree i i don't know if we're always 100 percent aware of how much work goes into signing these guys because you're the flames were the only team that was after connor mackey he was like the most sought after college free agent or one of them this this time around so you you'd been working on this for years it wasn't just like oh well he's coming out all of a sudden uh you've got a couple of weeks to try to convince him like this this was a long process that's that's kind of the case with a lot of these guys when you're trying to convince them to choose your organization right totally i mean you're building relationship it's just like if you're recruiting for college or you know, it, you, you don't draft these guys. You have to go out there and actually, you know, sell what the Calgary Flames are all about, what the city's all about, you know, opportunity for the guys. I mean, I think they, let's be honest, like that's what agents are looking at. They're looking at depth chart, charts, and they want to know, you know, that you're committed to their guy and there's an opportunity for them to play in the NHL. And that's, you know, that's what everybody wants is, is that opportunity to say, hey, you know what I mean? There was times I think when I, even when I was recruiting right at the beginning it was weird to hear some guys when we were, weren't doing well we were losing we needed some wingers at the time and uh, you know college free agents were going to places like philly and and toronto with all these these guys that they had i'm like hmm, it's weird because i don't see a fit but you know they just love the team they grew up in the area they wanted to stay out east you know for those different reasons it seemed like we we battled so as the process has gone along you know we've definitely been more in touch and trying to to build some kind of relationship we would love for these guys to come to development camp because that really lets us meet them and and then see what it's all about and see what calgary's all about but you know it's hard because usually we have it around july 4th and you know some guys have it right after the draft so people commit to that you know with with school and, and stuff like that they're going back after to do summer classes it just hasn't worked out as much as we want but if we could ever get them in here it's a, it's a huge sell because they get to see the city if the stampede's going on that's always exciting for the guys you know a little bit see what's going on there and then uh, you know you're really selling with the staff with the coaching staff they get to meet everybody and that's a, that's a huge bonus for us you know on the uh... Peter's I will say it was a big help with, uh, you know, even though Billy's not here anymore, he was a big help with Connor. Like he, uh, he called Connor, watched games on video and, and they, you know, we, we went and met Connor uh, in September before the season. Cause we try not to bug the guys too much during the season, you know, just like 
to say hello and little things like that because you don't want to do too much. And, uh, you know, I think Billy talking to him made a, made a big impression, you know, to, to kind of the process, even though he's not here, you know, to know that, hey, our, our coaches mm. are actually taking interest in, and they're, they're a part of it too because they're the ones that are going to give you the ice time, you know. That's interesting. Never uh, and, and it's funny because you talk about, you you called him before the season began after the Valamaki injury happened in August. Um, so there, like if if you if you were trying to convince him to come then, like you must have some pretty high expectations for the young man. Like th- this guy seems like he's pretty pro ready. Potentially uh, could step into an NHL lineup if if the situation arose. You know, I think both guys they're they're older. I mean, that's the thing about the college guys; they are a little older. You know, they get went through some drafts, but everybody develops at a different pace, especially defensemen. That's the one thing I think in college you can really, you know, because it's easy to see the high skilled forwards. That's that's part of it, but the, the defensemen, some of them just take longer. But big guys, they skate well, they compete, they do everything, and there's such a premium on defense in the NHL right now. I mean, it's one of those where yeah, you're you're hoping. They come in and compete right off the bat to be in the NHL. That's that's the ultimate goal. I mean, you, you're getting these guys. I remember when we were on Danny DeKaiser, and then he went right to Detroit. Play. It's just, uh, you know, I'm not saying that's what's going to happen, but they, uh, they're they older, they're more ready than if you're getting an 18, 19, 20-year-old coming out of junior, for sure. If you just draft somebody, they, they're just physically men, and they're ready to play against men. He is the assistant general manager of the Calgary Flames. Craig Conroy joining us on this Wednesday afternoon on Pinder and Steinberg. Connie, it's interesting you mentioned development camp, but I remember when I was in Abbotsford in the organization, just some of the names from just those two summers of development camps, Noel Achari, Frank Vetrano, Carter Rowney was a guy that was on a PTO at that time. Like if you were to come up with a list of NHLers that had been your development camps, I feel like it would really surprise the number of fans how many – uh, you know, end up having really good NHL careers when they're just a, a name on a list for most fans if they're going out to Winsport to check out some of these skates. Totally. I mean, that's the thing. I think, you know, our college guys have always done a great job identifying the right players and then uh, being able to get them in here. Obviously, you know, even though you bring them into camp doesn't mean they're going to be there. But, yeah, the list is pretty long when you kind of <laughs> you look back and you'd be amazed if there's probably 10 or 10 or 12 guys that have played in the NHL that came to our development camp, you know, Brad's always like, well, why didn't you sign this guy or that guy? I'm like, well, <laughs> you know, we tried, we were in like so many, I mean, we're not the only team watching them. So there's, you know, if there's, and that's the thing when you can get it, you only have seven draft picks unless you get some extra picks. So to kind of these guys supplement, if you, if you don't have a second or third rounder, they really are, uh, are key moving forward, especially in the cap kind of era but to bring him into development camp you know Garnet Hathaway we, we got signed he, he came in you know to sign Josh Juris out of it we've gotten some to stay and then we, we've actually like the, the name that you just mentioned actually went away and uh, you know you, you watch him and you're like hey at least we're on the right guy we gotta this is still something we have to continue to get better at and, and trying to identify the right guys but we've you know I think since the nine years I've been doing it it's probably eight, nine, ten guys that have played in the NHL that have been to development camp, but just some are here and, and some are some decided to go somewhere else. You uh, mentioned Adam Fox earlier. We're bouncing around a bit, but uh, we we love picking your brain. You surprised at all the season he's put together with the Rangers? Forty-two points, his first year in the NHL through seventy games, and 
seemingly playing a big role on uh, a surprising Rangers club. And I guess maybe just revisit that situation uh, through three years he'd essentially given you guys the Heisman on trying to sign him, and there was a thought that would be tough work to get done. Yeah, I mean, it is frustrating because, you know, you make a good draft pick. Uh, the way he kind of, in college, he was one of the top college players almost every year, especially as a defenseman. And with his brain and his passing, and you know, I'm not surprised he's doing it. I mean, we really thought this is what he was going to be uh, – you know, a right-handed defenseman that's going to be great on the power play and just his passing vision. and It's just, it's high, high end. So everything we thought, Jimmy Cummins made a great draft pick with that one. That was, uh, that was his guy from day one in September. We had to have no matter what. So I give Jimmy tons of credit. Unfortunately, you know, he went, you know, going to school. It just, it looked like he was going to go back and we just couldn't afford to lose someone in uh you know, just for nothing. So we got four, our hand got forced a little bit for sure. But, you know, in the end, I guess it's better to, that they were more honest with us and, and kind of, hey, we're probably going to go back for our senior year. And that, even without saying it, that probably tells us what <laughs> what's going to happen. So with that said, you know, we were able to make that trio, deal with Carolina and, uh, you know, to get Hannafin, you know, to get those two guys that we got back in that trade, I mean, and I think that did push it over the top to to get the deal done. So, you know, yeah. to get Lindholm and Hannafin was, was big. Uh, always would have liked to kept Foxy, but, uh, you know, it just wasn't meant to be. Yeah, and then the other part that I wonder, like, how much of that is a bluff? Like, obviously, you know, most U.S. college guys would love the idea of playing on Broadway and, well, I'm not going to sign, I'm not going to sign, I'm not going to sign. How do you sort of try to measure that, uh, what they're saying they're going to do versus what, you know, perhaps they're they're trying to put in front of you to, to sway to get what they want? I mean, would he really have gone back for a fourth year at Harvard after dominating that league for three years? Like, I, I find that sort of a fascinating conversation that you and Brad and the other uh, folks in the organization would have had to have measured, I guess. I mean, he's, yeah, it's, it's tough, but he's such a good student and he's, and it's Harvard, you know, <laughs> I mean, yeah. I think, you know, it is Harvard and to get that Harvard degree. And it's not like you can take, like Brian Burke always said, like, Tony, you can't take Harvard classes in the summer. Like that's just not, you don't do that. So he's not getting ahead. He's not doing that. He just, uh, you know, you have to, you actually have to be on campus. I guess Berkey was saying, you can't do it online. You can't do you know, maybe like some other things. And I don't even know if that's true. That's what Berkey told me. So, you know, I just felt like to get that Harvard degree, as good a student as he was, uh, it's a great situation. He liked it there. You know, you're, you're, you're kind of playing, you know, chicken going back and forth, but Mm -hmm. for him to say, you know, that's what the plan was. I mean, he didn't come to the last development camp either. He kind of Heisman us, us on that also. So, the writing was a little bit on the wall, you know, would I, would I've loved to kept them for sure, for sure. But to get that yeah. deal pushed over the line, I think with Carolina, you know, Brad, even though he didn't want to do it either, it, it just was uh, something we felt like, Hey, these are two very, very good players. They're going to be part of our team for a while. And, you know, even though we don't want to do it, let's, let's, uh, let's do it. But it, it's tough to watch him. You know, you get a little, <laughs> especially when he comes in here and has, what, he had four points. I wasn't here for the game, but that hmm. made me a little crazy. I would have liked to play it against him <laughs> just to get a little <laughs> chop, maybe. <laughs> but, you know what? I mean, 
that's the world we live in. It's a business. Everybody's doing what they feel is best for themselves. And, uh, you know, I would love to kind of knock that loophole away in the next CBA. I mean, that would be one thing I would like for, for us to put in there. If you draft a player and you're going to sign a player and you're going to give them the max of what you can give, I think you should be rewarded for that good pick, not just say, uh, you know what, I'm going to go four years of Harvard and then leave. That rubs me a little the wrong way, but you know what, that's the rule right now. So we have to live with it. Yeah, fair enough. Craig Conroy is AGM of the Calgary Flames joining us here on Pinder and Steinberg. Connie, uh, I and and to to totally switch gears on you, I was thinking about this after you joined us last week and and told some unbelievable stories. I, I was thinking about this because you said, "Well, I got some Brett Hall stories," and and I definitely want to get to those. But you know, Brett Hall was kind of the the honorary mascot of the run to the Stanley Cup last year for the Blues. You kind of had your coming out party in st louis like once once you moved there from montreal and became a member of the blues that's when craig conroy the the selkie trophy finalist or or the guy that could be looked at as one of the best two-way forwards in the nhl that's where it really started for you so was it i know it wasn't your team and last year was disappointing the exit in the playoffs but was did you have a a little bit in you that felt kind of nice for st louis being able to win that stanley cup last spring Oh, 100%. I mean, that's, uh, you know, I mean, hey, obviously, first and foremost, the Calgary Flames. I mean, I wanted to win the Cup. But once we were out and it was heading the way it was, that city, you know, is a great sports town. The way they treat people, the way, uh, you know, it's a Midwest city. That they love their sports. I mean, whether it's baseball, when the Rams were there, you know, they just they just support you. So, you know, and there's such a loyal following with St. Louis. I mean, when I go back, there's still, you know, so many people. That, when I was playing there, they're still there at every game cheering them on. You know, so that's uh, for the city to be able to win that and all the alumni and all the guys that have been a part of it that are still there. You know, I thought it was nice the way they treated everybody. You know, they just with the players, with the family, with all the workers, everything they did was first class. And then they, they also with, with Holly and Chaser and that whole crew, uh, you know, it was just exciting to see the city, and they, they deserved it. You know, this year I was hoping it was going to be uh, the Calgary Flames, but uh, if it could have been anybody, I was so happy for them. It's, it's, it's a great spot and a great city. So you you got to St. Louis in Brett Hull's, I guess it would have been his second last year. You spent two years as a teammate of Hull uh, before he left to go join the Dallas Stars, and, and we all know what happened once he got to Dallas. So you spent, you spent two years with Hull, right? Yeah. You know, and the one thing, like, every, Hull kind of had that reputation, like, you know, he's brash, he's loud, everything. So you're, you're going in there and you're thinking, don't want to get on his bad side. Pretty much St. Louis is Brett Hall. <laughs> you know, the only reason the Blues are still there is because of Brett Hall. So, you know, I roll in and we're in Colorado and I'm thinking, okay. And sure enough, I'm sitting there. I'm, you know, I came from the minors too. So I didn't even, I wasn't even up in, in Montreal. I was going from Fredericton. I get into to Colorado for the game and I'm sitting there and obviously I don't have any gloves. Like I, they give me a brand new pair of gloves. Hubby has about five or six pairs at all time with him. So he switches them every period and he just has a lot of pairs of gloves. So he he walked over and, you know, he said, hey, hey, kid, what's going on? Want to use one of my pair of gloves? I'm like, what? I'm like, oh, okay, sure. So Holly gives me the gloves. I score that game. 
I don't think he scored. He's like, I'm going to need to take those gloves back. I'm like, no way you're getting these gloves back. <laughs> if I'm one for one, you're never getting the gloves back. But you know what? That's what that's what made Holly such a good guy. He always let you know where you stood in the, you know, with him. And, and he was just a, he was actually a great teammate. I mean, I think people think, you know, they hear, oh, Brett Hall this, Brett he was an unbelievable teammate, and the one thing he always just wanted to win and do what was best for the team. I mean, obviously, he loved scoring goals more than anything. But with that said, he was uh, he was a lot of fun, and you know, to only be able to play, it was disappointing when he left because you're like, oh, you're playing with one of the greatest goal scorers of all time. Even though I wasn't on his line, it was fun to watch every moment, every time he got on the ice because you thought he could score from anywhere, any time. So it was it was pretty special. When you, because you then would then go to Calgary and and spent a lot of time with with Jerome, and in a lot of ways, it kind of went from Brett Hull as the best pure goal scorer in the NHL. I mean, what, he had like 73 years in a row, and the game changed, obviously. And from Hull, the torch was kind of passed to Jerome in terms of being the preeminent goal scorer in the NHL for a period of time. And, and for the longest time, Jerome was the, the game's best goal scorer. Turn, obviously different players, but in terms of similarities, did you see any between Brett Hull and Jerome McGinley? You know what? I mean, Jerome did a lot of times with, like, when he'd go to the net, he would go to the net with, I'm going to shoot the puck myself. I'm going to knock every defenseman. You know, he did it with raw power. And, you know, even though they both have great shots, Holly just had that, that quick release that, that you couldn't, you know, you're like, are you kidding me? Like, the way he could shoot at his one-timer, I always kind of joke around that. Jerome's one-timer was like, four inches wide, Hullies was four feet wide. He could get a puck in front of him, behind him. It didn't matter. Wherever it was, if it was anywhere around Holly, he could get in. I'm like, Jerome's one-timer had to be in the wheelhouse. He'd be like, <laughs> he'll probably kill me when he hears this. Uh, but that that was the difference. I mean, I think, but Jerome, when he went to the net, I mean, he was going to, he wasn't going to be denied. You know, he would he would literally have two, three guys on his back and he would you know, I'm going to score, you know, and if it's a rebound, he's getting the rebound, he's out battling, but they both have that hunger to score goals. Like you can't believe, I mean, no matter what happens, every time they go on the ice, they're planning on, you know, on scoring, but they both had great shots. I mean, the release, you know, the way they kind of get into open and quiet areas. The one thing about Jerome was I used to think if I just can lay it to an area and he has to outcompete a guy, I'm I'm putting my money on Jerome every time. You know, he'd say, "Oh, it doesn't have to be right on my stick. Just lay it to a spot. I'll I'll, I'll out battle somebody." Where Holly, I think, was more, he'd sit in the weeds sometimes, find those areas, and then once it's on a stick, it's in the net before before you know it. You know, he, he just and he could pick corners and you know to see that shot, I had never seen him quite like it. And it's one of those where you're like, "Wow." You know, it's it, on a stick and off the stick as quick as anything I've ever seen. You know, and even without McKinnis there. It's just different. His was more snapshot, quick, but his one-timer was as good as anybody I've ever seen, and Jerome's was too. I mean, that was the thing, the power they could get off it, but the hunger to score goals was in both of those guys. Okay, I I, I got to take you back to right when you got to St. Louis uh, in 1996. It would have been, correct me if I'm wrong, but that would have been your first year there would have been your first training camp. There would have been weeks after the U S won the world cup in Canada, right? No. So uh, was it 
was it that year? I think it was that year. You're right. So I actually was in. No, I, that's the year I got traded in there. Okay, so, so you, I, you started with Montreal in, and then got traded there. Montreal, I was in Montreal watching the games. In I was at the games live watching the games in training camp. Like, gotcha. I went up there. Yeah, so I was – and then on, uh, I think it was October when I got traded, that was, uh, you know, that's when it started for me there. Okay, yeah, October 1996 is when you got traded to St. Louis. So, yeah, you would have been in Montreal for training camp that year. Cause I, we had this question yesterday. We were having a, a conversation, and uh, we were talking about players growing up that you absolutely hated. And anybody who played on that 1996 team, uh, a 14-year-old Pat absolutely despised. And number one on that list was Brett Hull because here's a guy born in Canada playing in red, white, and blue. You're like, how can this trader do that to Canada? This was what went through my mind when I was 13, 14 years old. So I need you to talk to you know, um, early teen Pat and tell me why I shouldn't have hated Brett Hull. You know what? I think Hully wanted to play for Canada. They never invited him to anything. That was what it came down to. They just never invited him. And then he kind of said, you know what? I have an opportunity to play with the U.S. And I think once he made that allegiance and he moved over, there was no going back. I mean, that would be, hey, I love living in Canada. But I'm still American. You know, I still played for the American Olympic team. I still did all the stuff for USA. So it's a fine line. You know, that's where it is. But I don't think he did it out of, you know, he said, hey, I had to make a decision. One team was offering me a chance to play. The other one really wasn't when I was young. So I went with the opportunity. You know, it's it's got to be interesting for like, you know, the foots and all these different people how to pick nowadays because it seems like it's even more than when Holly did it. But uh, you know, he was kind of the first one that said, oh, "I got to make a, I got to make a decision," and you know, I was, and he made it. But I don't think he ever did it out of spite or anything like that. He just like I had a chance to play for one, and I didn't for the other. So, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go with the, I'm gonna play. I, I I do know the reasons why I, I yeah. this was irrational <laughs> young Pat as I've I've come I've come to be quite uh, you know a guy who can score eighty goals in a season uh, I actually I'm a big fan of of Hulls now I'm like that guy was an absolute beast just at the time when you're uh, all wrapped up in the flag cheering for Canada and these Yanks beat Canada in Canada in 1996 was he was he a guy that that you looked up to like you were still pretty young at that time was was Brett Hull big for you as you were breaking into pro hockey oh for sure i mean you, you think about when he played at Duluth, like you know you'd see him holding on the sports three the three sticks the shot all of that kind of stuff so i mean he was kind of yeah he's a legend you know and, and that's just like with him mcdonald just that whole team when you kind of look back and you say mike richter actually went to northwood where i went to you know prep school so you're kind of rooting for him i mean and these are guys you've been watching and you know how good they are and what they've been doing in the nhl and then uh, you know to see him in that to see how they stack up against canada who i thought had the best team and to be able to come away and win that thing it was unbelievable it was so good for usa hockey i know uh, you know it's like when the olympics happen in 80 it's those are certain points in the to say hey you know what we have arrived with the nhl players we're we're right there with them on the on the best stage in the world, you know, to say, okay, look, U.S. just won. That it just seems like I I love to know the spike in hockey in the U.S. at that point, uh, you know, after that because it was such a big deal. I mean, it really was to be able to beat Canada in Canada. That's uh, it's unheard of, really. Yeah. 
Craig Conroy's with us. Ryan, you got anything? Uh, got anything as we start to wrap things up with Mr. Conroy? Totally. I got two more for you. Uh, the okay. last time we saw something close to best on best was the World Cup a couple, what was it, three falls ago. And I always sort yep. of felt like the Americans got the short end of the stick there because all those great young American players like Matthews and Eichel were on that U21 team or whatever it was. If you had Canada, USA, U23, if you had Canada, USA, best on best right now, how competitive is it? And if you had to look at the younger age groups, how much uh, has that gap closed? Or would you say the Americans developmentally are going to be churning out more players moving forward, just given how much the the game can grow in new markets there where everyone's pretty much exposed to hockey in Canada? Well, I think, you know, the big thing is like markets, like when I got to L.A., I couldn't believe the program in L.A., like how – you know, it's just growing everywhere and there's just so many more people that you definitely feel like, hey, if we continue to go at this pace, you know, they sh- we should, U.S. should be able to out-muscle, but it's amazing. I mean, you look at the young guys, I mean, obviously McDavid's best player in the world right now. You know, that's just, it's just a matter of, you know, you don't have to be just to watch the game to see what he can do, but it, it would be fun. And, and that's the thing. I think we've closed the gap. I think, uh, you know, on any given night, and there's not just us with Sweden and, you know, the Russians, anybody could win. They really could. I think that's how it's kind of came back around. But it's amazing to think about all of that time ago, you know, maybe this was something that jump-started it, but with all the programs, with all the pro guys that have stayed down, you know, the NHLers from Canada, mostly Canadians, are kind of getting all these programs going. They did it in St. Louis to see all those guys in the first round. That's because Al McKinnis, Keith Kachuk, and that whole crew, Kelly Chase, mm-hmm. that whole group of guys, I think Brownie was there too, you know. So that's the way it's really been being built up there. And the U.S. is really trying to – you know what? I'm on the USA program, and they're definitely trying, they they take stuff that the Canadians do. I mean, that's the one thing about Canada: everything's first class, and they do things right. So, I mean, if you can kind of emulate what they're doing, and then on that bigger population, you're hoping you can draw. But to see Hughes last year, to see that under 18 program have all those first rounders, it's definitely coming. But uh, you know, there's a lot of great players in Canada too, and really across the world right now. Yeah, I'd sign up for any of that. Give us a best of seven between the two. I'd watch that. Last one for you, Connie. Uh, Do you have a a favorite or a a most proud story? Uh, You're now into your 10th year as a manager, not a player. In terms of a draft, maybe development, maybe it's both. Is there a story of a player in this organization or one that was that you're most proud about how you guys as an organization groomed them and turned them into who they are? That's interesting. I think I think the player I'm the most proud of that came in and did the most, like from where he was to where he is now, and he's actually no longer is probably Garner Hathaway. I mean, for a guy to come in on an American League deal and to work the way he did in the in you know, in the American League, earn an NHL contract, you know, play so well last few years in the NHL and then and then get his deal to you know, in Washington, uh, that it's pretty amazing. I mean obviously uh the drafting of Johnny Gaudreau and, you know, just the, the emotions when I went in and, and got him. And I was a little nervous. I weren't going to get him for a while, but, uh, you know, finally got that done, got him back in and, and played in that first game in Vancouver. I mean, those are definitely special, but there's so many, you know, there's so many things that you kind of look back on that it's just so much fun. You know, you say, okay, hey, we're building something here. 
you know, and obviously uh, to win the one playoff round against Vancouver was the most exciting for the whole team. But I'm hoping we can do more of that. That's the that's the real ultimate goal is to win playoff rounds and win a Stanley Cup for the Calgary Flames. You know, that's why I'm surprised we traded Brahal. I asked because I knew I was coming <laughs> on. I asked uh, Al yesterday. I talked to him on the phone, <laughs> and I said, "Why did he, he go? We did not want to trade Brahal. He had like 43 <laughs> goals or whatever in the in the American League when he was down there, but." We felt we had a chance to win a Stanley Cup, so we made the deal. He goes, we did not want to put Brett Hall in the deal 100%, but that was the only thing to get it done. And we felt like with Ramage and everything, all the other pieces, we had to do it. Because I was like, oh, my God, Chopper. He goes, well, we won the Cup. Peter Marr always says that if they didn't have Ramage, they wouldn't have won that Stanley Cup in 1989. So that's that's one that, like, as much as you don't want to give up one of the best goal scorers in, in league history, you did get a cup out of it. And as Pinder said, flags flags fly forever, right? Yeah, and that's and that's what Al said. He said, hey, we come on, we did not want to give this guy up. We wanted to keep him here, but we thought we had a team that had a chance to win, and we had to try. You know, he goes, if you're in that position and you feel that comfortable, yeah, I'm like, oh, I don't know if I would have done a chopper. <laughs> He's like, well, yeah, now you know <laughs> 700 goals in the week, so it's easy. I'm like, good point. <laughs> good point. But I got one Holly style. I got a million Holly stories, but one that I love. I think we had, like, we are playing San Jose. Pierre Turgeon, him, got a two-on-one early in the first period. And Pierre, for whatever reason, kind of looked Holly off and shot it. And the goalie made the save. You know, so Holly gets back to the bench and he's like, oh, he's like 513 goals, 310 or whatever Pierre had at the time. And I'm kind of, I'm kind of listening on the bench. He's like, you know, he goes, just, I guess I'm just a decoy out there. He's like, unbelievable. You didn't even look over. You weren't even thinking about passing any. So he's kind of giving him, you know, grief on the bench. So I'm thinking, oh. third period, they get another two on one. Pierre comes down, the, the defenseman slides across kind of like the way Bobby used to have our D come across. So Pierre kind of threw it over his uh, over his legs and pants. And, uh, you know, it was probably right around shin high. And, I mean, like clockwork, Hundy took that thing out of the air, top corner, and you're like, wow, that's a goal. Like, it's probably a foot and a half off the ice, but he shot it like it was on the ice and it was in the net before, before he even blinked. When we're coming back, I'm like, oh, what's Holly going to do? Because he always has something to say. So we're sitting there. He sits down, and he's kind of looking. He's like, uh, you know, he looks down and back and forth. He goes, I never said it had to be a good pass. <laughs> the whole bench just cracks up. <laughs> you know? But that's, that's Holly to a T. I mean, he, I couldn't wait to hear what he was going to say every time in the bench. Like, you know what? He just is quick-witted, smart, and funny, and, uh, <laughs> and he could score goals like nobody – nobody I've ever seen. So it was always fun to kind of see what he's going to do. I just wish we would have been able to keep him in St. Louis and, uh, you know, he would have won the cup there because that would have been the ultimate, uh, the ultimate thing for the Blues for sure. That's awesome. Good stuff, Craig. Really appreciate it, as always. Uh, hopefully uh, we help kill some of your day. You certainly helped kill uh, some of ours. Uh, we really appreciate it today. Uh, thanks for having me on, guys. Take care. See ya.
It's Craig Conroy, the assistant general manager of the Calgary Flames, joining us on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline. Bar may be closed right now, but they are open for business with delivery and pickup available. Call 403-248-3344. That's 248-3344. Another, uh, another almost hour killed with the one and only Craig Conroy. This time some really good breath hole stories from Conroy, the AGM of the Calgary Flames. Well, and I feel like, like we're just doing chapters in the book here. There's a bunch left. Like, we haven't even touched the time that he spent in Los Angeles where he wore a letter. You know, he played at the Olympics in 06 with the Americans. Like, there's uh, there's some stories we haven't even got into. That's uh, th- There's more. I Once a week, as long as he's up for it, that's, I think the text line loves it. And clearly, uh, there's not many guests as loquacious that can, you know, fill two blocks of of sports talk with uh, great stories and make it so effortless. What a great guy. And I, I love the, the answer on what he's most proud of. Uh, you know, he ends up talking about the playoffs, which I think is, is dead on, but you start thinking about it. There's so many guys that have been great stories. Like I think about like where they took Michael Furland and where he was in his career and all the work that went into developing that player to the point where he became a guy that was highly touted in free agency this past summer. I mean, he talks about the late picks like Gaudreau, Majapani is another one that they hit late on and amongst others and more to come in the system that are really late picks that are going well. But that's, that's 10 years as a manager now. Like you, you can even start sliding into the management stories with, with Connie and he's good to go for a while. He's got a decade worth. Well, I know that uh, his story about the, cause he would have been, they drafted Gaudreau in the 2011 draft, if I'm correct. Um, that was the the Sven Berchi first round pick here. I believe that was 2011. Um, and just the story there, he would have been very early on in his time as at that time special assistant to the general manager. And just the story of you know when they decided to take Gaudreau and how they actually had him at one spot um i believe that they kind of had him penciled in and thought they could wait until the sixth sixth round but after another player went that they were really big on earlier than expected like we gotta we gotta pounce on gaudreau the first chance we get and they did they got him in the fourth round and and obviously the rest is history but that's a really cool story so you're right just uh just starting to uh, crest the uh, crest the first couple of chapters of the Craig Conroy book, which is outstanding. Really appreciate the time from Connie. Uh, always appreciate that with him. Uh, as we expected, uh, we went quite long with Craig Conroy, so our break structure will be a little different. We'll come back with a short segment, Rye, but we got uh, some pretty big news in the NHL. Not surprising, but still pretty big news in the NHL. We'll get you the latest on that coming up next on Pinder and Steinberg. Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Pinder and Steinberg in the afternoon. Sportsnet 960, The Fan. All right. It is uh, 3.52. Text line loves Connie. That's not new. Uh, The text line are usually people in Calgary and sports fans, and we already knew those people love Craig Commodore. Another great uh, chit-chat with the Flames AGM, Patty. Um, We got some news to get to, though. The NHL has... uh, Done some things that we were expecting, I suppose. Yeah, I don't think that this is by any means a surprise to see the NHL do this today, but uh, they have made it uh, now official, and we've been waiting uh, for a little bit 
in terms of what this news was going to be, but I'll read the uh, NHL's release to you verbatim here. The National Hockey League today announced the postponements of the 2020 NHL Scouting Combine, the 2020 Bridgestone NHL Awards, and the 2020 NHL Draft, which were originally scheduled for June 1st to 6th in Buffalo, June 18th in Las Vegas, and June 26th to 27th in Montreal. Due to the ongoing uncertainty resulting from the coronavirus, the location, timing, and format of the 2020 NHL Draft and Draft Lottery will be announced when details are finalized. With respect to the NHL awards, the league looks forward to returning to Las Vegas in the future. Las Vegas has been the home of the NHL awards since 2009. So none of these things are surprising. Uh, It was only a matter of time until these things happened, but... You hear it, and uh, it's just another indication of how different this is going to be from an off-season perspective. How do you like? We still don't know what free agency is going to look like. How does if if the NHL has hopes of still playing in the summertime? You can't have free agency until after they're playing, I would imagine. Like, there's a lot mm-hmm. of things that still need to be ironed out. But the, I think the big one there, Rye, would be the postponement of the NHL draft. And, and we don't know how that's going to look. But it can't really come as a surprise this afternoon. Yeah, I guess the combine's an obvious one. You can't have, you know, people gathering in large groups. Ditto the, the awards where you've got essentially a theater or a ballroom or, a, you know, an arena that's going to be, filled with fans next to each other. These are things we can't do at this point. And, you know, maybe if uh, we'd seen sharp declines or easing off or plateauing of numbers, but we're not seeing that at all, especially in the U S they could have gone forth, but they can't. The draft's interesting to me because I don't know that you couldn't space out only the players, agents and families and do it in an empty building with no fans. But again, that may be on the table if Montreal is in a healthy spot heading towards that. It's also, if I'm correct, the furthest down the line in terms of dates. Obviously, the Combine's before it, and I'm trying to think yes. when the award show is. So yep. there's probably yep. there's there's more time for you to make a better decision there. But, yeah, it's anything that there's a public gathering in, is, especially when we're talking about filling a rink, like that's clearly something that has to be on a chopping block if we continue well, to trend the way we're trending. And I don't think, at the same time, you don't really need to have the NHL draft in an NHL building. You you don't even really need to have it with everybody there. You could very easily um, set it up remotely. And and still, if you wanted to do it for TV, you could do that with with players on Skype and all that type of stuff. Like, it it could very easily easily is the wrong word it would take a lot of manpower in terms of the the television production and all that type of stuff but you could do it on the phone or you could do it remotely like you don't need to all be there and as much as that would be great and and general managers love the ability of being under the same roof and and being able to wheel and deal and get things done on the draft floor and have the kids there and be able to have your draft parties. I think that everybody has to realize that things are going to be different and you have to accept it being different here for the next little while. You have to accept that if the NHL does have a chance of playing hockey again this year, and if they do have a chance of giving out the Stanley cup, it's going to be different. It's not going to be the regular Stanley cup playoffs. It might not be 16 teams. It might not be best of seven and there might not be fans in buildings you have to you have to accept that you have to accept that sacrifice 
sacrifices and concessions have to be made, and the exact same thing is true with free agency and the draft. And and these leagues still have to operate. They still have to go forward, but there has to be an acceptance and I think there would be an acceptance around the NHL that yeah you're going to have to sacrifice regular operating practices for quite some time and if that means that certain things that you're used to doing and the way that things have always been done change on a temporary basis and the draft in 2020 is done drastically different than every other year in recent memory well you kind of have to accept that and do it and I think that that's one of the realizations that everybody in pro sports is starting to come around to here you know what i find fascinating is trying to put yourself in the shoes of of players in this spot we talked about the free agency element you know how comfy would you be suiting up if you're healthy on july 1 knowing that an injury could severely affect a payday coming forward the flip side is that if you don't play as a group of players and say we're not going to do this how much more escrow is coming out of your pocket and then the other thing i've been thinking about is all these players that suffered significant injuries like dougie hamilton broken leg um, you know, Seth Jones and Columbus, a guy like depending how far we get into the summer, maybe those guys are able to come back. And, and there's a long list of guys of that caliber that have been hurt. So, you know, how do you as a player, never mind the whole isolation thing, but are you rehabbing, expecting to be back in September for a training camp? Or are you hustling back expecting to play? Because I think those days unfold very differently depending what your goal is. And then even if you're not hurt, are you in summer like off-season mode or are you trying to remain close to, okay, we could be on the ice again with this same group? I mean, I have a really tough time trying to get into headspace of players. And on top of that, like how many of these guys mm-hmm. have the ability to even stay in shape, rehab, or train without leaving the house? One, well, and the biggest problem is, is that nobody knows right like the nhl can't give the players association a definitive answer as to what things are going to look like and and so as much as you're absolutely right like i i would imagine that you know the the differences in terms of how you would get ready for each of those things is is fairly large or vast and it's it's not like the nhl can give the pa a a firm answer as to what's going to happen and i think just like just like general managers are are going to have to accept that things are done a little differently for a little while i think i think the players association is going to have to be flexible too and i'm to be perfectly honest with you, I'm, I'm quite confident they will be i'm quite confident that yeah. you know they, they will be okay with one time drastic changes to the draft or drastic free changes to free agency or training camps or or the amount of time between a season ending and and training camp starting like I, I feel like everybody involved has wrapped their head around or will be wrapping their head around the fact that it's going to be drastically different and and you just have to accept that and to allow the league to move forward and to allow things to, once we come out of this on the other side, to resemble what we're used to, you're going to have to make concessions. You're going to have to be okay with things not being as ideal. That's You're, you're right, though, because it is the, from, from training, from preparation, from how you go about your daily business as a hockey ops department, everything has been thrown completely out of whack by this whole thing. Yeah, no question. And until we start to see or think we see a peak, good luck trying to forecast the future. It's just, yep. you know, blind stabs in the dark at this point. Uh, look at this. We're around the corner. We're going to catch up with uh, someone we haven't chatted with for, I want to say, like, you know, 
12, 13 days. It's day 14 of the sports apocalypse. Uh, we're overdue for a catch-up. Yeah, day one of the sports apocalypse is the last time we caught up with the radio play-by-play voice of the Calgary Flames, Derek Wills. He's going to join us next. Also in the 4 o'clock hour, little wild card Wednesday. It's Pinder and Steinberg on a Wednesday afternoon. Hopefully you're doing all right. Sportsnet 960, the fan. Calgary guys talking Calgary sports. Pinder and Steinberg are only on Sportsnet 960, the fan. Welcome back to our Wednesday edition of the program. If you are driving home from work, thank you for going in today because uh, obviously uh, if you're going in, you have to go in. So thank you for helping keep our city running. And uh, if you're at home, remember you can always get us online, sportsnet.ca slash 960. You can get us on the uh, Radio Player Canada app or the Sportsnet app. And uh, you can always get us on your smart speaker as well. Let's say hello to the radio voice of the Calgary Flames, Derek Wills. It has been almost two weeks since we last heard from you, Mr. Wills. It was uh, the Thursday afternoon when everything halted the last time that we chatted since that point uh, we have seen no nhl games and all we've seen is worldwide cancellation or postponements of sporting events and pro sport league seasons what is happening my friend welcome back to pinder and steinberg well thank you uh not much is happening uh yesterday i spent four hours cleaning my fridge uh today i spent a couple hours cleaning out one of the cupboards in my kitchen i'm just trying to keep myself uh, from going completely insane right now. I mean, this is the first time in, I don't know, 25 years. I haven't been calling hockey games in the month of March, and uh, nobody saw this coming. So it's uh, been a little tough to wrap my head around, Pat, but I feel bad for you guys because you have to do a show every day and you have no sports to talk about. We're getting by. We, uh, we've we talked about our lives a whole lot more. We did uh, an entire segment at 2 o'clock almost talking about pigeons. Um, the uh, good man Craig Conroy has joined us a couple of times so far. He uh, was on for about 40 minutes with us today. That helps kill some time. Uh, we've we've been able to get some... Yeah, it it is like ridiculously nice of him. I think it helps kill his day as well because everybody is bored out of their skulls right now with what's going on. It's funny, like... I. On the one hand, we got news today about the NHL postponing uh, three off-season events, the Combine, the awards, and the, and the draft. I don't think that comes as any surprise. So you have that news, but there's also kind of this overhanging sense of, I don't even know what the word would be, if it's optimism or uncertainty, but whether or not the NHL could play again. I'm just curious as to your observations as to how the NHL has conducted business and, and the conversation surrounding hockey, knowing that it's not being played right now. Well, to be honest, prior to reading that article that Chris Johnston wrote on Sportsnet.ca a couple of days ago, talking about how the league is now asking teams to give them dates into the month of August. I'm way more optimistic now than I was before reading that piece because, you know, I I don't think this is going to come to an end anytime soon. Uh, Hopefully we can flatten the curve as everybody's talking about, but that doesn't mean you're going to be able to snap your fingers and get back to the way things were. So I still think we're best case scenario ways away from resuming this 2019 2020 NHL season, but uh, more optimistic today than I was earlier in the week that, they are going to find a way to play some more games this year. What that looks like, who knows, Pat. You and I were texting back and forth about it. While I don't love them going down to eight teams or going up to 24 teams, let's be honest. 
any hockey at this point would be good for everybody involved. And uh, boy, would I love to have a chance to call some more games this season. My fingers are crossed and I remain hopeful. Well, and it's it's funny because I think that initially if a plan were to come out and, and we were fortunate enough to be able to resume the season at some point in the summer, June, July, or August, or something like that, if that were to happen and the playoff format is different and, and modified from what we're used to and teams are left out or you know something like that happens where it's different, I, I do feel like there will be some initial griping from from certain people but i think everybody players general managers owners everybody has to realize that this is such an unprecedented situation that like it has to be different we we have to accept that things are not going to be in the immediacy exactly what we're used to and if that means there has to be sacrifices made to uh, allow things to continue in some form or some semblance I, I think that everybody just has to be okay with it as much as it might not be quote unquote fair it you kind of have to accept things as they are and kind of take an is what it is mentality. And, and I'm, I feel like players and, and GMs and owners will be able to do that. But I, I do think that there, there might be some who feel like maybe they got the short end of the stick if they do find a way to come back. Yeah. I mean, I think there is certainly a sense that the league and its teams and its players want to play again this season. I think that has to be the most exciting thing if you're a hockey fan, everybody seems to be really committed to trying to find a way to make it happen. I would be surprised if there were any more regular season games played. And I'd also be surprised if the Stanley cup playoffs looked the same as they usually look. Uh, I would be really disappointed if there were only eight teams involved. Uh, I mean, I don't think that's fair to the other eight or maybe even 10 or 12 that were either in a playoff spot or really close to being in a playoff spot because we always talk every season about all you have to do is get in. If you get in, you've got a chance mm-hmm. to win it all. So I don't think it would be fair to certainly the eight teams who are in, whether it be by points or point percentage today, or even to the two or three or four teams that are out but not out by much, the Jets, for example. So uh, I would hate to see the league go down to eight teams. If, if, it, all, if it came down to, to doing that or to doing nothing, I guess it would be better than nothing. Uh, I would rather, I guess, go to 24 teams or to 22 teams or to 20 teams and include uh, everybody who would have a legitimate chance to make the playoffs if the final between, what, 10 and 14 regular season games, I think that's what just about everybody has remaining on their schedules. If, If teams could viably get into a playoff spot if they went on a run in those 10 to 14 games, giving those teams a chance to compete, uh, whether it be in a play-in game or a best-of-three series or whatever, to get in, I think that would be certainly something that would uh, pique my interest and and pique the interest of most hockey fans. But I don't think that at this point in time it's going to be okay. Point-wise, you were in, or point-percentage-wise, you were in. We're going to do the usual 16 teams. I I just get the sense that it's going to be something different. I, I just hope if it's something different, it's not eight teams, that it's it's more, not less. Mm-hmm. It's funny. It's it's crazy, isn't it? Because I think that you know before it, it's crazy how thing how how this thing evolved. The, the last game that we did, 
I remember sitting around the hot stove lounge table. Uh, this was the Sunday night game between the Flames and the Vegas Golden Knights. It was more than two weeks ago now. And you, Labardius, and myself on, on our NHL roundup segment of our postgame show, uh, I, I just talked about, hey, they, they just canceled Indian Wells and um, a couple of other yeah. things have been postponed. Like, we might get ready. We might, we might have to have uh, some games with empty arenas or something like that. And we were all like, geez, how crazy would it be for games to be in empty arenas? I hope it doesn't go that and now you're like I, I I would give up my left toe my my left toes if we could have games in empty arenas like give me that all day it's it's amazing yeah. how rapidly this thing evolved. Well, people are so hungry for hockey, so hungry for sport because generally when you're going through a tough time, many people fall back on sports as the the distraction to real life problems, to real world problems. But we can't even do that right now outside of. You know, replaying some games from earlier this season, which uh, I hear we're going to do tonight, the old stick flip game between the Flames and the Oilers, and God, what I would do to call another Battle of Alberta this season. And you know, it's been fun to watch some of the games from years past as well, but man, live sports would just be uh, an absolute godsend for a lot of people right now. And I know I'd jump at the chance to call a game, and obviously you'd rather do it with people in the building, but you know, if, if Kelly Kirsch called today and said, hey, how do you feel about calling a game with nobody in the building? Uh, as strange as that would have sounded two weeks ago, I think uh, you and I and, and certainly Lou would jump at the opportunity to do that now just to, to get back to work and start watching mm-hmm. some hockey again. But you, you talk about the timeline, Pat, and how quickly everything happened. And I must admit that when we had that discussion on the postgame show after that game between the Flames and the Golden Knights, and, geez, it seems like about six months ago now, you, I think, were a little bit more understanding of just how serious things were i'm not sure that at that point in time i really thought it was even realistic that teams would be playing in front of empty arenas i certainly never thought that that could potentially be the flames last game of the 2019 2020 season but uh, i think you were uh, doing some digging and and uh had a bit more information than we did and and got a certain sense that you know what this thing's getting bad and it seems to be getting worse so credit to you for doing that but it is crazy how quickly everything kind of unfolded. So we went from having that discussion on a Sunday night. Monday was an off day. Tuesday and Wednesday were practice days. And I don't know about you, but those two days felt fairly normal to me. You know, we were talking about Noah Hannafin's injury and when Travis mm-hmm. Hamannick would be ready to come back. You know, the players were on the ice and practicing and doing media availability. And then that changed and we had to be six feet away from them. And then it went from that and I think really – Things turned on the Wednesday night when the first NBA player tested positive for COVID-19. And then obviously everybody had to react to that. The NBA put their season on pause. The next day, the NHL put their season on pause. And even that Wednesday night, we had a conference call with Kelly Kirsch and Peter Labardius and, and you and I and talked about, okay, you guys won't be traveling to New York. You're going to have to call next week's games against the Rangers, Islanders, and Devils off a monitor here in Calgary. And that was even a, a shock to the system for me because I have never done that before. But, man, it is crazy how quickly everything has happened, and, and hopefully we can get that curve flattened uh, sooner rather than later and uh, get some more hockey games in this year. But, again, that's secondary, and the primary concern is uh, containing this yep. uh, coronavirus and, and getting everybody healthy again. So uh, my thoughts and prayers with everybody dealing with uh, either an illness themselves or uh, to somebody that's uh, a family member or a friend. 
Derek Wills is with us, radio voice of the Calgary Flames, joining us here on Pinder and Steinberg this afternoon. I'll, I'll ask you a couple of, of Flames questions and, and hockey-related questions as, as best as we can have these discussions. But it's it's funny, like Flames, the Flames in a lot of ways, pretty fortunate in the fact that you know, we talked about what they're going to do at the trade deadline and, and how they're going to go about their business. And while the Flames did make a couple of moves and, and added a pair of defensemen and Derek Forbert and uh, Eric Gustafson for a couple of conditional draft picks, they, they didn't go out and make those massive acquisitions like, for instance, a Tampa Bay did where first-round picks are on the table or, you know, Vegas gave up a significant amount to bring in Robin Lehner. Like, there, there, there have been some significant deals made with conditional picks and expiring free agents i just you've got gustafson and forbert who have barely spent any time with the calgary flames and now all of a sudden brad true living might have to make a determination on what happens next for these two guys i find that to be uh, an extremely fascinating conversation league-wide but specifically when it comes to those two players in the flames yeah and you know it's a really good point you make that because i really hadn't thought about the fact that the trade deadline just passed and you're right. There are teams that gave up significant assets to acquire players for this season. Guys who may or may not be back with them next season. And thankfully mm-hmm. for the Flames, they did not do that. But had they done that, I think most of us would have been pretty happy that they had gone about their business that way. And I do think Brad Treleving tried to make some big deals uh, approaching the deadline back on, what was it, February 24th? Again, it seems like so long ago now, but you know, it, it's almost a good thing that he wasn't able to pull the trigger and, and get some bigger deals done because all he gave up to get Gustafson and Forbort were third and fourth round picks respectively, so you'd like to have those assets, but certainly not a first round pick or a, a top prospect or anything like that, but yeah, I think lots of question marks for the Flames uh, going into the offseason. Whenever that's going to be, if it's uh, you know, going to be sometime soon if they decide to, to cancel the rest of the season or, heck, it, it might end up being in September, the way things uh, are sounding right now. If the teams, or at least some teams, do play games into August, that means uh, that the off season's not going to start until sometime in August or maybe even sometime in, in September. So it doesn't leave you a lot of time to get ready for the, the 2021 season. But uh, I think the biggest question marks uh, when it comes to the Flames and to their off season have to start on defense. And not even so much Eric Gustafson and Derek Forbort, but I think more so T.J. Brody and Travis Hamannick, the two big unrestricted free agents on defense, because uh, the Flames signing a guy last week, uh, a college free agent who I'm told could play as soon as next season, which uh, sounds pretty exciting, uh, getting uh, a couple of guys under contract without having to give up any assets to get them. But uh, also, you've got to try to fill out your blue line, because right now, I think if you were to slot guys, you'd go Mark Giordano and Rasmus Anderson left and right on the first pairing. But then you're looking for righties for your second and third pairings. Let's say you've got Noah Hannafin on the left side of your second pairing and Yusuf Alamaki on the left side of your third pairing. Of course, everybody's interchangeable, but let's just uh, put that in pencil for now. Who plays on the right side of your second and third pairings? I think it's feasible they bring back one of, but probably not both of, Brody and Hamannick. And then where did mm-hmm. Gustafson and Forbort fit in? So lots of questions, not a lot of answers. But, uh, boy, that seems like it's uh, really far in the back burner right now, doesn't it? It, it sure does. And, and and you wonder how much that is even on the mind of you, – you'd think that if you're – the hockey ops staff right now, you're, you're probably trying to have these conversations to try and 
keep up some sense of normalcy while also knowing that you have no idea when those decisions are going to have yeah. to be made or when you can put those decisions into effect. It's uh, it really is fascinating because you're right. I mean, I think that the 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 two guys they brought in, they've got interesting decisions to make. And yeah, it's not like it's not like Brody and Hamannick all of a sudden are going to be given another year to play with the team. They, they're going to have to make decisions with those two guys as well. There's no doubt about it. Just a a final thought for you. It's a it's a fun well, one. I'm ca- curious as to. Sorry, quick follow-up on that one, Pat. So just thinking out loud here, uh, I know for a long time, Gary Batman and Bill Daly were saying that uh, the 2021 season would start on time. But let's be realistic here. If they are playing the 2019-2020 season into August, you, you really have no off-season. You have, what, one month? Not even one month of an off-season? I don't think that gives players enough time to physically recover, number one. But what about all the other things that happened during the offseason? The draft, free agency. So if this season does continue into July, let alone August, I think it's got to push back the start of next season, doesn't it? Yeah, and, you know, they might have to – next season might have to be – condensed and to get 82 games in we might have to be talking about uh, a far more um, condensed schedule maybe no all-star break maybe no CBA break those types of things might have to be taken out of the conversation to make sure they can get 82 in it's it's a good point and I I think that all those things are being discussed behind closed doors right now it's I I really don't know how this is going to look when it's all said and done it's it it really is a a guessing game when it's all said and done hey yeah it certainly is and I mean I guess we shouldn't even jump to the conclusion that if they were to wipe out the rest of the 1920 season that everything would be good to go for the 2021 season We, we don't know how long this it's going to last mm-hmm. and how long it's going to take them to, to really contain this, this COVID-19. So it's all a guessing game right now. And it's, uh, I guess all we're left with until we know what's going to happen for sure. Okay, final thought. Let me ask you this. I uh, wrote an article at Flames Nation earlier this month, and you know, I, I I didn't expect when I wrote this that this would be the um, potentially the entire body of work of the season. But through seventy games, I went through the the five best value contracts on the Calgary Flames, and I just wanted your thoughts on my number two and my number one. I went with Elias Lindholm at number two and Andrew Mangiapane as my number one best value contract on the Flames this year. Entry-level deals didn't count, so no Rasmus Anderson or Dylan Dubé, uh, but I went Mangiapane one and Lindholm two. Can you get on board with that? I think it's hard to argue Andrew Mangiapane at, what, $715,000? He's making $15,000 yep. more than the league minimum, which is ridiculous because let, let's – be honest if if they were to play 82 games this season he would have a legitimate chance to get to 20 goals maybe maybe more he's been outstanding this season he's done a great job driving the play he's fit in i think seamlessly on that line uh, with michael backland and matthew kachuk and you know really has been a top six forward and we had talked all season about how the flames needed to add a top six guy well i'm not sure that you know, on a Stanley Cup contender, Andrew Mangiapane is that guy right now, but I, I think he's got the chance to be that guy moving forward. So I think that's an easy number one. What is Lindholm making? Five point what? 4.85. Oh, 4.85, under $5 million for a guy yeah. who I think is one of the top 200-foot forwards in this league, top guys uh, who can play uh, with the puck, without the puck, offensively, defensively. I really like that pick as well, Pat. I mean, 
if you had to pick a Flames most valuable player with the, what, 70 of the 82 games played, who would you go with? I think it'd be hard to argue against uh, Elias Lindholm. Yeah, he'd be the one for me. Yeah. I mean, David Riddick, I think, would probably win first half MVP, but his second half obviously hasn't been as good. I think Elias Lindholm was a close second as far as first half most valuable player was concerned. So when you look at his body of work and what he's continued to do in the second half of the season, hard to argue that he'd be this team's most valuable player this year. And at under $5 bucks, that's pretty hard to beat. Yep. Thank you, Mr. Wills. Stay safe. Uh, stay sane. We'll talk to you again soon. Appreciate you doing this today. Hey, no problem at all. Good to talk to you. And uh, if you make some more dumplings, send some my way, would you? I will indeed. They were outstanding yesterday. <laughs> I, I thoroughly recommend. See you, pal. All right. See you later. It's Derek Wills, radio play-by-play voice of the Calgary Flames on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline. The bar might be closed to patrons during these trying times, but they are open for business. Pickup delivery available by calling 403-248-3344. That's 248-3344. Pinder, Steinberg, Logan, Wild Card Wednesday. On a Wednesday, next, Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Let's take a spin and find out all the things we never wanted to know about our afternoon show. It's time for Wild Card Wednesday. Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Gotta say, gentlemen, today has uh, flown by. It's been a uh, it's been a fun show. It's been a uh, it's been a pretty easy show. Lots to talk about. We got a little NHL news. Got forty minutes with Craig Conroy. Uh, it's been a uh, it's been a fun show today. Uh, it's uh, always good to have these two idiots alongside with me. Why? Well, it's not fair to Logan. Uh, Logs, you're not an idiot. Uh, it's always that, fair to have yeah, a fellow. That's kind of fair. <laughs> okay. All right. A couple of idiots. It's, a trio uh, of idiots with you. Why do you think I work here? Forty minutes now. Like that's we've done a couple with them, and that just feels like man, we're we got to hustle to keep this under forty. And good luck at doing an eleven-minute chat with him anytime in the near future. Now that we've seen this, exactly. <laughs> he's spoiling us. Once hockey season starts, and he's like, guys, I'm not doing forty minutes with you, okay? Uh, <laughs> we've got our uh, wild card Wednesday casino open and ready for business. It's a virtual casino, I promise. Uh, there's no risk of uh, transmission. We've got our uh, five categories on the slot machine. We've got pop culture, personal life, career, sports, and wild card. We've got Logan in the Basement Systems downtown studio. Pinder's at Shea Pinder. I'm here in the Steinberg home office. Uh, we'll each take a spin. Pinder, you uh, went last last time. You want to go first today? Yeah, I'm in. Let's do it. I've got uh, a couple good ones I've been sitting on. I've got one sports that I, I'm keen on, but uh, lots of good ones here. Let's do this. All right, let's go. I've got two personal lights in a row, too. Career. All right. Boys, you get to pick one of the other big four sports to be a beat reporter in. NFL, NBA, Major League Baseball. Tell me which sport you'd like to be a beat reporter in and if you've got a market you'd like to work in. Hmm. I've got my so logo. You want me to go first so you can think? Yeah, if you got one, go ahead, Pat. Okay. Um... I, I know exactly where and what sport and why. Um, I would 100% be a baseball beat writer. I think that job is awesome. Uh, I think it would be awesome. It's why these guys write until they die, because why would you give this job up? Um, 
I, I love the idea of you know chatting on the field and doing your interviews at batting practice. Uh, it's a laid back atmosphere, um, and and you can get some really good stuff. And you know just the ambience of even though you're you're writing, just to go back and listen to your quotes and hearing a bunch of cracks of the bat while you're talking to whoever you're talking to. So I love the pacing. I love the idea of it. I love that you always have something to write about there's not like 162 games like your your content is just right there you always have a game to write about um and then on top of that it would be in chicago with the cubs you've got a ton of afternoon games so your your evenings are almost always free you're in an unbelievable spot. You get to go to Wrigley Field on the reg, uh, plus all the, the cool spots you get to travel to. Uh, and, and the best part about it is that when, you, when you're traveling, it's not even like you're traveling like you would in hockey or basketball where, where you're in for a game and then out. You're in for three or four, so you're there for three or four nights. So you get, you get a trip to Florida, and all of a sudden you're there for four nights. You're in Los Angeles for four nights. Like Sign me up. I would be the Cubs beat writer if I had any writing talent and I had paid my dues, yeah, I would be the Cubs beat writer all day. All right, I got follow-up questions because this is a, a big decision for your life path. Are you really going to have an off-season that runs October to January and you're going to hang out in Chicago? That is the the only drawback I can think of of the MLB beat writer is that their off-season is literally the worst time of year. What are you going to do with your off-season? I feel like... You've got you got off-season travel. You know how much cheaper flights are to Europe or anywhere in October, November. Like it's it's way easier to travel then. Maybe I save my money and uh, I buy a place in Arizona or I buy a place Whoa. in Florida. Uh, I, I I feel like I could get around that. And you know what? Chicago winters they can be tough. I'm pretty toughened up by Calgary winters after Fair. doing 35 of them. So I think that uh, I could deal with living in Chicago, one of the world's great cities, even if it was cold. I think I could do it. The other part that you got to remember as well, like media avails in are very early in spring training, but once you get into the season, what is it? Like guys show up around noon to the ballpark. You're a night owl. Yeah. You're a guy that likes to be up to like that. That fits your lifestyle. No early rising for you if you don't want it. I'm all over it. Logo, what would you do? Um, I would definitely go football because it's the probably the other sport other than hockey that I have the most passion for and uh, could honestly find something to write about all the time. I also like the idea of such a broad market. There's so many football fans, you know, that, people that just love the NFL and, and can't get enough of that content, so I always feel like there'd be uh, a large stream of people interested. I definitely... I don't know if the location will surprise you guys, but I definitely want to go somewhere football crazy. So I'd love to uh, cover America's team, the the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, I just think there's always something going on in the NFL, whether it's you know you're talking about the draft or you know heading into the combine or stuff like that. There's always a crowd and always a market for people who want to consume NFL content. And uh, I also thought about the off season as well being done in February and having my uh, spring and summers to myself for the most part before OTAs uh, sounds like a pretty good gig to me. Yeah, if you're really good at you you that big old off season, like that's that's a really short schedule compared to baseball, hockey, or the NBA. Logan, I like where your head's at. Plus, you get to spend most of the summer with your family in Canada when the weather's good, not when you have to shovel the walk. I'm kind of having a tough time making my mind up, Pat. I think what you hit with the majors is a big one in that 
you set up shop three or four days on the road, you move, you could really explore a city if you wanted to. There's always something to talk about that that's appealing. Uh, but I also be curious about just being in a huge market, like covering the Knicks or maybe it was the NFL with the two teams in, in New York or LA that that would be kind of cool to do. I just don't know anything about those sports relative to baseball and hockey, but, um, I, I honestly would – I'd like to sort of push myself out of the comfort zone. I'll say New York City covering the NBA because I feel like I don't mind throwing daggers when people deserve it. That's probably the most choice gig, throwing daggers at the Knicks for the last decade. Yeah, that's that's a good question. I like that one. I never quite thought of it. Like the some That's a good rebuttal to mine too, Logo. You uh, you gave me some compelling reasons to, to do the NFL. That was good. Okay, who wants to uh, who wants to go next? Who wants to, to take the next poll? I can go or Logo, you can go. I'll give it a go if you're okay with that. Okay, yeah, absolutely. Wild card. Okay. Uh, I'm going to push the boundaries a bit on this one, but it was something oh, that I thought baby. was was somewhat relevant, and I'm curious as to what your answer would be. Uh, gentlemen, I'm not saying this is what's going on outside. I'm not saying anything like that, but I'm curious. In an apocalypse-type event, which <laughs> one of these would you last the longest in? Now, it was if it was a zombie apocalypse, uh, a disease breakout apocalypse. I'm not saying that's what's happening outside right now. Or mm-hmm. the natural disaster apocalypse, a la John Cusack in the terrible movie 2012, where the world is just collapsing in on itself due to natural disasters and we need to find uh, a new place to live. Which of those apocalypse, event, apocalypse events would you last the longest in? It's a good one. I, um, I think I would go with... I would last the longest in the uh, disease outbreak just because I'm already ra- – like I would say I'm uh, – Pinder, you can you can vouch for this. I think I'm higher than a 5 on the scale of 1 to 10 when it comes to germaphobe and being aware of those things to begin with. So I, I feel like I would be okay being able to – keep myself safe and quarantine. I, th- I think the disease outbreak is the one that I would be the most suited to have long-term success in. I'm going to uh, say it's not zombie apocalypse. I feel like you need to have good weapon skills. I don't have many good weapon skills. I feel like I could be a good shot, but don't own a gun. I've always always good at duck hunt. And whenever we go to, uh, you know, ranges and things I can shoot. All right. You know, we did the skeet shooting thing for kids sport, uh, Brian Burke's event, and I was really good at that first try. That was kind of cool, but I don't have a gun. I'm useless. I, I'm I'm just raw meat in a zombie apocalypse. So I'm not doing that. And I'll, I'll say the world event. Like if we're we have some sort of natural disaster, I'm uh, when I grew up, I went to camp every summer. I feel like I can find dry wood. I can make a fire. I uh, I've got some tricks of the trade, staying alive in the wilderness that uh, would I think be on the the good side of the bell curve. I'd be able to outlast the population best there. All, all good answers. I I would choose. I went with zombie myself, um, just uh, at a pure survival. So I feel like as though I could bunker down in a secluded area and you know maybe just keep a small base camp of of close friends and family that would hopefully uh, you know just survive somewhere out maybe not in the wilderness but in you know less commuted areas than a city or something like that. And I feel like. 
also nowadays, if this were to ever happen, we have lots of uh, source material to go off of. I mean, there's how many seasons of The Walking Dead to pick up ideas and tips and tricks of how to handle these sort of things. So I would uh, try to use some of that to my advantage and hopefully survive longest against these zombies. We all assume need though, some weapons. Logs, that Zombos, in, zombies, in the, and weapons. In the real world zombie apocalypse, maybe you don't kill the zombies by going for their heads. Maybe they're like that's what the Walking Dead universe. You get them in the brain. That's how you kill the zombie. But maybe in the the actual zombie apocalypse, maybe you've got to cut off their left pinky finger, and that's the only way that you can get them. Like mm. yeah, we just we just don't know. That's so, true. It's a. But you're right. You do need weapon skills and. Um, being tough and all that type of stuff. And I'm with you, Rye. I don't really fit into those categories myself. All right, you're up last, Patty. All right, let's do it. I've got uh, I've got a couple of good ones I want to hit here. Pop culture. Uh, gentlemen, what is the scariest movie you've ever seen? Give me a movie that stuck with you, that you uh, could not get over, gave you nightmares, kept you up at night. What is the scariest movie you've ever seen? I remember going to a team party for hockey when I was really young. And I like I think like a dozen of the guys, there was like a sleepover at somebody's house somewhere. And we watched Children of the Corn, I think it was. And I, I know there were sequels in there. I don't know which one. I'd never seen anything like that. And that, uh, I feel like that stuck with me for a while. That was, uh, yeah. And I don't love the genre. I've usually can survive it, but just never really seek it out. I'd rather not put myself through that. But I remember like the Blair Witch was a big one when I was in high school and I never really got into the saw ones, although you'll see a few on the odd bus trip when I was doing play by play, but that's not really the full immersion experience to watch something on a bus. It's kind of like watching a movie on an airplane. It's like you always, they're never as good that way. You need the, the full immersion with sound and screen to really, especially if it's horror, to get sucked into it. So I'm going to go with the, the Children of the Corn. Um, I have uh, three sisters and a brother in my family, and uh, uh, they may have thought it was funny in the early 2000s to take me to the movie theater with them to go see The Ring. Uh, I was entirely way too young to see any, so I think it was my first like horror movie ever. And they thought it was the funniest thing of all time. I don't think I slept for a week. I was frightened of the television. Uh, I didn't trust corners. I didn't want to go anywhere in the dark for a very long period of time. Uh, I saw it again, actually like not that long ago. And I was surprised that I was scared of it when I was a kid, but I was frightened for the longest time of the ring or putting like a, a tape in and having something hypnotize me or take somebody away. It was a terrible experience. I I feel that like I, for whatever reason, and it should have, but for whatever reason, the ring never got me. I remember I watched it uh, at a buddy's place with a few of my friends and it was supposed to be like, I watched it like as it had just come out on, on home, on home movie and and I remember people were like, "This is the scariest movie ever," and I uh, I just for whatever reason it didn't scare me. It did not get me, and I don't know exactly why that one didn't get me because it probably should have gotten me, because it, in, when you think about it, it, is quite a terrifying movie. Um, 
pretty much anything involving like supernatural and those types of things get me. And that's why, and I, I waited to see this until I was in my twenties and it got me huge. But when that, when I saw the first nightmare on Elm street or the first Freddy Krueger movie, like it wasn't so much that he was like really the most convincing, terrifying human. It was the fact that he murdered children in their sleep. And that was, that was the thing that got me. And I had trouble sleeping for a few weeks because logically I knew that a man with knives for fingers wasn't going to murder me in my sleep while I was sleeping. But at the same time, like I couldn't sleep the thought of drifting off. I would always wake back up and then i the adrenaline would be pumping and it would take another hour for me to get back to sleep. And so yeah, nightmare on Elm street. And I saw it late. Like I was in my twenties and that one messed me up. That is a terrifying movie and anything to do with like, like the exorcist. I can't watch it. Even, even little clips of The Exorcist now get me. I'm like, I can't do it. Like, it would freak me out forever if I saw that movie. Stuff involving like possession and um, and uh, uh, demons. I can't do it. I'm I'm a bit of a wimp in that regard. Good answers all around, boys. That was a good one. That was another edition of uh, Wild Card Wednesday. We'll wrap it up. Uh, I got a, a pretty cool piece of news that I'll pass on after we uh, hear the extra on Wild Card Wednesday. But there is another edition, and this time on a Wednesday, of our favorite game show. This has been Wild Card Wednesday on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Just wanted to pass this on. Um, our friends over at Greta Bar are doing something pretty cool right now. Um, they have uh, unveiled a new food truck, and they are uh, delivering 500 meals right now to some of their friends in the industry who uh, are uh, getting bogged down by some of the things right now. So if you go check out the Instagram at Greta Bar YYC, uh, they're doing something pretty cool right now with their food truck. Also, uh, roll through uh, Greta Bar from 12 to 1 o'clock and at Hudson Shaughnessy from 2 till 3 o'clock uh, to get some takeaway food uh, during this time. So from noon till 1 and from 2 till 3 at Greta and Hudson Shaughnessy, respectively, they're doing some takeaway. There's still social distancing, and uh, you're not allowed to obviously come in and sit down and eat, but they're doing some great takeaway food. If you've ever had the food at Greta or at Shaughnessy, uh, or rather at Hudson's, uh, I absolutely recommend you doing this. They get some of the most unique food in the city, for instance, at Greta. It's the only place that you can get uh, currywurst in the city, and uh, I, right. I thoroughly recommend currywurst. So go check them out. They're on Instagram at Greta Bar YYC, or you can stop by uh, weekdays from 12 till 1 at Greta Bar and from 2 till 3 at Hudson Shaughnessy. Wanted to pass that along because because they're one of our friends, and uh, they're doing some good work during a pretty tough time right now. All right, we come back. Final segment of Pinder and Snyberg before we get to the sports drive at 5. If you missed Craig Conroy, we'll revisit that. Another great session with the AGM of the Flames, telling some stories from his St. Louis days, and on top of that, some uh, developmental uh, good stories from the Flames as he's now 10 years into his management role. Sportsnet 960, the fan. Pinder and Steinberg continues on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Five minutes away from the sports drive at five here on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. A reminder for you, if you are buzzing around the city doing uh, an errand 
Maybe it's the uh, the little bit of time you're spending outside of the home reminder. Bring the show back with you to your house. Smart speaker, Sportsnet app, or sportsnet.ca slash 960 to catch our programming live at any time. And tonight, Patty, we got another gem on tap in an hour and five minutes. It is the Battle of Alberta, round three from this season. Of course, round one, rather uneventful, a 5-1 Flames win. Round two, the seeds were planted for the Cassian-Kachuk rivalry. And round three, we start to see the dividends and I suppose the yield, the crop starting to grow of those seeds that were planted in round two. So I had gotten a couple of tips going into the game on January 29th. That's the game that um, we're going to be playing tonight. I'd gotten a couple of, you know, heads up from a couple of people in the hockey world saying, hey, I'm hearing that Kachuk has said that he's going to drop the gloves. He's been getting some tips, and uh, he's going to he's going to drop the gloves and quote unquote answer the bell with Zach Cassian. Because remember, from January 11th to January 29th, that's what the whole conversation was. Would Kachuk answer the bell? Would he would he step up when because Cassian challenged him and got the suspension, all that type of stuff. Well, I was I still didn't believe it. I read so that those those came from a couple of people that I trust. So I ran it by a couple of people that I knew. They're like, I don't know. I I'd be surprised if he did. Well, he ended up in the first period or the second period, whatever it was. I think it was the second period when Cassian finally obliged Kachuk and they they dropped the gloves and and got it over with. And Kachuk went about it the only way that he can as a pretty inexperienced NHL fighter going up against a a pretty giant man and and rather. Um, you know, at times unhinged gentleman in Zach Cassian. Uh, he, he did a pretty good job. He charged him. He didn't really allow Cassian to get set, and he did what he needed to do. He answered the bell. He fought. We also got a Sean Monahan, ryan Nugent Hopkins fight in that game, <laughs> and the epic stick flip from David Riddick after the Flames had won that game in a shootout. Yeah, that's tonight, 6 o'clock, right here on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. And I suppose, Patty, we could get to the news of the day on this 25th day of March. Uh, the news is out for the number of cases that uh, Alberta has had our, I guess, what would it be Minister of Health, or uh, that's the wrong terminology, Chief Medical Officer, has been uh, having a press conference every day at 3.30 to update exactly where we're at as a province and some other notes from government. The news today uh, the case is up, but not uh, dramatically from yesterday's total of uh, 57. Today, it's mm-hmm. uh, a number of cases that I believe is, what, 61, Pat? Yeah, 61 new confirmed cases. Uh, Province's total now up to 419. It was actually Jason Kenney, our premier, who uh, did the news conference first and then handed over to our chief medical officer. Up to 33 of the 419 coronavirus cases in Alberta, up to 33 of them are confirmed um, by community transmission. Um so that, I, I guess you want to keep that number as low as possible, the actual community transmission ones. Uh, but yes, 61 new cases today, up from 57 yesterday. They also have instituted some more enforcement 
Uh, the Premier announcing today that community peace officers and police officers will now be able to issue tickets to enforce public health orders, such as mandatory self-isolation, uh, fines up to $1,000 per violation through tickets. Uh, so those would be public health orders like no more than 50 people at public gatherings, mandatory self-isolation once you return from anywhere outside of Alberta, those types of things. There now is going to be enforcement from police and and from community peace officers, which I think, you know, as as as, as much as you're like, geez, we're, we're enforcing these things. They're like, yeah, I think we need to enforce these things. I, I think by and large, right, Calgary's done a really good job of adhering to the social distancing and staying inside. And when you're out for a walk or a run, keeping that distance, but not everybody. Not everybody is. There's still people who are doing soccer practices and, and you know, being defiant and tough with this whole thing, which is just so what, not what we need right now. For whatever reason, not everybody's getting this. Like, people need to get it through their heads. This this isn't about you. This isn't about your life. This isn't about uh, your your routine and what is being changed. This is about people who are truly at risk. This is about your family, your grandparents, your parents, uh, perhaps immunocompromised people in your life that could actually die from this thing if they get it, and we don't want that. We don't want our healthcare system overwhelmed with a limited amount of uh, ventilators in this province and, and worldwide. That's what it's all about. So I, I'm I'm all for enforcing these things. Th- these things are being put in place for a reason. These aren't just things that we're doing for fun or we're overreacting to. So that's kind of the news of the day from our chief medical officer and our premier. Well said, Patty. We'll turn things around, come back. The Sports Drive at 5 underway and another good chat with Flames AGM and former NHLer Craig Conroy. Sportsnet 960, the fan. Back to Pinder and Steinberg. Calgary Sports Talk in the afternoon. Sportsnet 960, the fan. All right, Sports Drive at 5 underway. We're six minutes after the hour. The news of the day in the NHL officially announced uh, today by the league. The postponements of the 2020 scouting combine the nhl awards and the nhl draft they were set to be held in buffalo las vegas and montreal respectively and of course all the postponements due to the uncertainty from coronavirus pat no surprise here yeah not a surprise at all i mean really they didn't have any other option like we don't even know when the season if the season is going to resume and if they still are holding out hope that the season's going to resume well you can't have a draft or an nhl awards before then so pretty much everything's getting pushed back everything is being put on hold or the cans being kicked down the road that's the only thing they can do at this point and I understand it. It's Things are going to be different for a little while, and the NHL, as we know it, is going to be different for a little while. No question. We'll uh, travel back in the time machine with Craig Conroy when we come back. A full 40 minutes with the Flames AGM between now and 6 o'clock on the Sports Drive at 5 right here on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Sports Drive at 5, brought to you by Pete the Plumber, the superheroes of plumbing and heating. Call 403-257-1766 or find them at PeteThePlumber.com for all your plumbing and heating needs. All right, Sports Drive at 5 rolls on. We appreciate uh, you hanging with us off the top. Quick little segment because, well, you got to make space 
when you bring on our next guest. Craig Conroy, AGM of the Calgary Flames, 10 years in management, former player and storyteller extraordinaire, stopped by with Pat and I earlier today. Mr. Pinder, I will uh, I will readily admit that the last time that we spoke with this gentleman one week ago, TextLine was a pretty big fan. Uh, when Craig Conroy joined us last week, at this time we talked about some 2004 Stanley Cup final stories, and uh, we got some uh, some good sound bites from Conroy. So we'll see if uh, the assistant general manager of the Calgary Flames can outdo himself this afternoon. Mr. Conroy, how are you? Good, good. How are you guys doing? We're um, hanging in here. We're doing our yeah, best. Like it's, it's the we're new normal. About pigeons now. Yeah. Sure. Major pigeon issues. Yeah. I've, I, Look, you live in a condo downtown. You got to deal with pigeons. It's like a it's like a yearly battle. I've been in this condo for six years, and every spring you have to fight these things off. They try to nest and find their way into your barbecue. It's it's uh, it's an urban hazard, Connie. That's unbelievable. I never guess. I never thought about it. <laughs> that would be a pain. They are. They could be a pain for sure. <laughs> Start nesting no, and Connie. lay eggs. It's just. It's no good. Dennis Weidman uh, called me a pigeon. What does that mean? Well, that mean, that's not a good thing. That, no. <laughs> that's not a good thing. I don't, I don't know what really is. I think I call Ryan Leslie a pigeon, season. too, so it's not a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> I was uh, not hesitant to point out he was on the ice for like a brutal goal against for about eight games in a row that second last season. I don't know that uh, we saw eye to eye on his play at the end of his time in Calgary. <laughs> <laughs> I can actually see that. I might have stole the pigeon thing from Wise. You know, Wise was awesome. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, we get a little sensitive, but we get sensitive. We just throw out the pigeon thing because no one really likes pigeons. So I think that's part right. of it. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty universal. It's a, the my 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 most funny Weidman story ever, and and I still think that this grinds Labardius's gears a little bit. But uh, had Labardius on the air, it was after uh, a World Junior game, so it would have been late December, early January, a number of years ago, and it was the Canada Finland game, and I think Finland won the game six five. It was in Finland. The Finns went on to win the gold that year, and we were just talking about how great a game it was. And Lou was going on about how only in junior hockey, only at this tournament can you get games like that, that type of stuff. So we go in the locker room. It was either the same day or the next day. It must have been the next day. And Weidman was listening to that hit. And he goes, hey, Labardius, if you love junior so much, why don't you go back and ride the bus? <laughs> so he, he's, he does that in the middle of the locker room to Labardius. And uh, Lou was not having it. He was, uh, he, he was not the happiest of campers with that remark. <laughs> Oh, you know, that's that's the one thing about why, like, if if you said something or you misquoted something or you did, like, he was quick, very quick. Like, you know, him and Bob used to have spar back and forth. And uh, I'll admit, he was, he's one of my favorite guys, though. I mean, and the one thing about him, he's, like, very smart hockey-wise. Like, not much went, got past wides. Like, you'd say, hey, you got to do this or that. Then he would come back with something. You're like, what? Oh, that kind of makes more sense than what I just said to him. Like, you know, that that's what it was with, 
quit dealing with him, but he's quick and he's smart and he, and he knew the game really well. You know, and he had the him and Bob didn't see eye to eye early, then they got along really well, and then it went sideways a little bit again at the end. <laughs> Yeah, he was a uh, he was a beauty. One of my uh, he always gave you a good quote, and he was always ready to uh, chirp you if you deserve chirping, which uh, usually uh, everybody in the media deserves every once in a while. Craig Conroy is with us. Hey, we had uh, Brad Living was on the morning show today. We had him on on Friday after your team signed a pair of college free agent, couple of left shot defensemen, and Brad was very quick to talk about your role and uh, your impact in doing that, gave you a ton of credit. So take us to the process of signing Colton Poolman and Connor Mackey, a couple of free agent uh, college free agent defensemen. You know, it's amazing. Like, it, it starts so, you know, like everybody thinks, oh, maybe just – on that day when you sign them, but you're really building relationships with these guys. You're trying to make them feel comfortable. I mean, even for, uh, you know, with Connor Mackey, he came to our development camp. I'm not even sure what year, like it was so long ago. Uh, Jimmy, Jimmy Cummins found him, like said, Hey, this is a guy we got to invite to development camp. And, and then after that, we get to know him. And then he went in USHL. He played, you know, every, kind of everywhere he kept getting better kept getting better so we've been building that relationship over time and then when uh, uh billy powers came on board as our college guy jimmy's like hey this is a guy to watch and then i mean we just been building that relationship and it's weird with with him particular particularly i i, I offered him three contracts <laughs> so i'm glad he took the third one because the third one was uh three strikes and you're out uh, he just, uh, it was one where last year when they got knocked out, he got kicked out of the game. I was actually at the game uh, with Billy and, you know, to lose, they had one of the better teams, you know, they're thinking they're going to go to the, the final four. Uh, they just take a bunch of penalties. It doesn't go well. They end up losing that game. He got kicked out. He hit a guy. I mean, he just hit a guy hard. He didn't like, but he's a bigger guy. So it looked like kind of a little bit of a headshot in, in the NCAA they kick you right out. It's mm-hmm. it's disappointing, but that's what they do. So I think he was upset about that, but he, you know, so he kind of said, hey, he went back with the team, just said, hey, I'm not going to come out this year. I'm going to go back for my, my junior year. And I thought, oh, okay, you know, that was a lot of work not to get him. And then when we had the injury with Valimaki, I called him in August and said, well, I know you're getting ready for school here in about three weeks, but would you have any, uh, you know, would this be something? And they, they took probably three or four days and they were pretty interested, but I think he had, he really did want to go back and try to win an national championship with the, with his guys. They all went back. So again, I missed out. So I'm like, man, this is painful. So to actually uh, get it done this time, it feels like, you know, it was a, a long time coming, but definitely, uh, you know, excited that we got it done and, and brought him in because Brad's mandate going into the year was, Hey, we have to try, we haven't, you know, with losing Fox, you know, in the trade, we really didn't have many, uh, deep prospects as far as draft picks and that. So that was one of the priorities going in. We needed to, to find, you know, college, college guys or European guys, whatever it might be. Uh, we got to supplement in that, you know, with that. So long story short, Going into the season, you know, uh, Pullman, Colton Pullman was one of the guys high on Billy's list too. So the two of them are like right at the top of the list. And, you know, to be able to kind of go and get them both was uh, pretty special for us. We feel like, hey, we got two, 
you know, high-end quality individuals. I mean, I think, I forget, I think when we went to watch both those guys play against each other, I'm like, oh, this is going to be a great weekend. And I went down and saw Colton after the games and, and just spoke to him and got a feel. And, you know, you talk to the coaches and with Brad Pascal's relationship with North Dakota, you know, that definitely uh, when you hear those guys talk about Colton, I mean, out of the 14 years, I think he's, uh, you know, the coach has been there. He said, this is one of the highest character guys that we've had in our program. And they've had some unbelievable players go through there. So yeah. to hear them say that, uh, you know, and that's, you just like the player, he work, you know, the compete, the, he's going to do everything for the team, like the way he trains, the way he does everything, you know, he's already a pro in their mind. You know, he's like the guy you don't have to say anything to. You got to pull him back a little bit. So to get two guys like that, uh, you know, especially left D, you'd think, oh, you know, but that's what they're about. They're about, hey, we want to come compete, and we want to we want to win with the Calgary Flames. So it's pretty exciting to to get those guys uh, because last year we didn't end up getting any college guys, and it, it does. But you have 107 points, and if t- people don't think you have a weakness, they're not going to sign with you. So I mean, it's a good thing that people didn't want to sign with us. But in this situation, I mean, it's so hard. You saw us go get the 2D right at the trade deadline, and it was a, it's something that we need. We're just lacking that in the organizational depth. And, uh, you know, now we feel we've really secured that up with, with those two guys. It's funny. You, you talk about the process of signing Connor to that, to, to finally getting him to agree. I, I don't know if we're always a hundred percent aware of how much work goes into signing these guys. Cause your the flames were the only team that was after Connor Mackey. He was like the most sought after college free agent or one of them this, this time around. So you, you'd been working on this for years. It wasn't just like, Oh, well, he's coming out all of a sudden. Uh, you've got a couple of weeks to try to convince him like this, this was a long process. That's, that's kind of the case with a lot of these guys when you're trying to convince them to choose your organization, right? Totally. I mean, you're building relationship. It's just like if you're recruiting for college or, you know, it, you, you don't draft these guys. You have to go out there and actually, you know, sell what the Calgary Flames are all about, what the city's all about, you know, opportunity for the guys. I mean, I think they, let's be honest, like that's what agents are looking at. They're looking at depth chart, charts and they want to know, you know, that you're committed to their guy and there's an opportunity for them to play in the NHL. And that's, you know, that's what everybody wants is, is that opportunity to say, hey, you know what I mean? There was times I think when I, even when I was recruiting right at the beginning it was weird to hear some guys when we were, weren't doing well we were losing we needed some wingers at the time and uh, you know college free agents were going to places like philly and and toronto with all these these guys that they had i'm like hmm, it's weird because i don't see a fit but you know they just love the team they grew up in the area they wanted to stay out east you know for those different reasons it seemed like we we battled so as the process has gone along you know we've definitely been more in touch and trying to to build some kind of relationship we would love for these guys to come to development camp because that really lets us meet them and, and then see what it's all about and see what Calgary's all about but you know it's hard because usually we have it around july 4th and you know some guys have it right after the draft so people commit to that you know and with school and, and stuff like that they're going back after to do summer classes it just hasn't worked out as much as we want but if we could ever get them in here it's a, it's a huge sell because they get to see the city if the stampede's going on that's always exciting for the guys you know 
a little bit, see what's going on there. And then, uh, you know, you're really selling with the staff, with the coaching staff. They get to meet everybody, and that's a, that's a huge bonus for us. You know, and the, Billy uh... Peters – I will say it was a big help with, uh, you know, even though Billy's not here anymore, he was a big help with Connor. Like he, uh, he called Connor, watched games on video and, and they, you know, we, we went and met Connor uh, in September before the season. Cause we try not to bug the guys too much during the season, you know, just like to say hello and little things like that, because you don't want to do too much. And uh, you know, I think Billy talking to him made a, made a big impression, you know, that to, to kind of the process even though he's not here you know to know that hey our, our coaches hmm. are actually taking interest in, and they're, they're a part of it too because they're the ones that are going to give you the ice time you know that's interesting never uh, and and it's funny because you talk about you you call them before the season began after the valamaki injury happened in august um so they're like if if you if you were trying to convince him to come then like you must have some pretty high expectations for the young man. Like th- this guy seems like he's pretty pro ready, potentially uh, could step into an NHL lineup if, if the situation arose. You know, I think both guys, they're, they're older. I mean, that's the thing about the college guys. They are a little older, you know, they get went through some drafts, but everybody develops at a different pace, especially defensemen. That's the one thing I think in college you can really, you know, because it's easy to see the high skilled forwards, that's, that's part of it, but the, the defensemen, some of them just take longer. But big guys, they skate well, they compete, they do everything, and there's such a premium on defense in the NHL right now. I mean, it's one of those where, yeah, you're you're hoping they come in and compete right off the bat to be in the NHL. That's that's the ultimate goal. I mean, you, you're getting these guys. I remember when we were on Danny DeKaiser, and then he went right to Detroit. Play. It's just uh, – you know, I'm not saying that's what's going to happen, but they, uh, they're they older, they're more ready than if you're getting an 18, 19, 20-year-old coming out of junior, for sure. If you just draft somebody, they, they're just physically men and they're ready to play against men. He is the assistant general manager of the Calgary Flames. Craig Conroy joining us on this Wednesday afternoon on Pinder and Steinberg. Connie, it's interesting you mentioned development camp, but I remember when I was in Abbotsford in the organization, just some of the names from just those two summers of development camps, Noel Achari, Frank Vetrano, Carter Rowney was a guy that was on a PTO at that time. Like if you were to come up with a list of NHLers that had been your development camps, I feel like it would really surprise the number of fans how many, uh, you know, end up having really good NHL careers when they're just a, a name on a list for most fans if they're going out to Winsport to check out some of these skates. Totally. I mean, that's the thing. I think, you know, our college guys have always done a great job identifying the right players and then uh, being able to get them in here. Obviously, you know, even though you bring them into camp doesn't mean they're going to be there. But, yeah, the list is pretty long when you kind of you look back and you'd be amazed if there's probably 10 or 10 or 12 guys that have played in the NHL that came to our development camp. You know, Brad's always like, well, why didn't you sign this guy or that guy? I'm like, well, you know, we tried. We were in like so many. I mean, we're not the only team watching them. So there's, you know, if there's, and that's the thing when you can get it, you only have seven draft picks unless you get some extra picks. So to kind of these guys supplement if you if you don't have a second or third rounder, they really are uh, are key moving forward, especially in the cap kind of era. But to bring them into development camp, you know, Garnet Hathaway, we we got signed. He he came in, you know to sign Josh Juris out of it. We've gotten some to stay, and then we've, we've actually, like the, the name that you just mentioned, actually went away. And, uh, you know, you, you watch him, and you're like, hey, at least we're on the right guy. We got a 
this is still something we have to continue to get better at and, and trying to identify the right guys. But we've, you know, I think since the nine years I've been doing it, it's probably eight, nine, ten guys that have played in the NHL that have been to development camp, but just some are here and, and some are some decided to go somewhere else. You uh, mentioned Adam Fox earlier. We're bouncing around a bit, but uh, we we love picking your brain. You surprised at all the season he's put together with the Rangers, 42 points his first year in the NHL through 70 games and seemingly playing a big role on uh, a surprising Rangers club. And I guess maybe just revisit that situation uh, through three years. He'd essentially given you guys the Heisman on trying to sign him. And there was a thought that would be tough work to get done. Yeah. I mean, it is frustrating because, you know, you make a good draft pick. Uh, the way he kind of, in college, he was one of the top college players almost every year, especially as a defenseman. And with his brain and his passing, and you know, I'm not surprised he's doing it. I mean, we really thought this is what he was going to be, uh, you know, a right-handed defenseman that's going to be great on the power play and just his passing vision. and It's just, it's high, high end. So everything we thought, Jimmy Cummins made a great draft pick with that one. That was, uh, that was his guy from day one in September. We had to have no matter what. So I give Jimmy tons of credit. Unfortunately, you know, he went, you know, going to school. It just, it looked like he was going to go back and we just couldn't afford to lose someone in, uh, you know, just for nothing. So we got four, our hand got forced a little bit for sure. But, you know, in the end, I guess it's better to, that they were more honest with us and, and kind of, hey, we're probably going to go back for our senior year. And that, even without saying it, that probably tells us what <laughs> what's going to happen. So with that said, you know, we were able to make that trio deal with Carolina and, uh, you know, to get Hannafin, you know, to get those two guys that we got back in that trade. I mean, and I think that did push it over the top to, to get the deal done. So, you know, yeah. to get Lindholm and Hannafin was, was big. Uh, always would have liked to kept Foxy, but, uh, you know, it just wasn't meant to be. Yeah. And then the other part that I wonder, like, how much of that is a bluff? Like, obviously, you know, most U.S., college guys would love the idea of playing on Broadway and well, I'm not going to sign. I'm not going to sign. I'm not going to sign. How do you sort of try to measure that, uh, what they're saying they're going to do versus what, you know, perhaps they're, they're trying to put in front of you to, to sway, to get what they want. I mean, would he really have gone back for a fourth year at Harvard after dominating that league for three years? Like I, I find that sort of a fascinating conversation that you and Brad and the other uh, folks in the organization would have had to have measured, I guess. I mean, he's, yeah, it's, it's tough, but he's such a good student and he's, and it's Harvard, you know, <laughs> I mean, yeah. I think, you know, it is Harvard and to get that Harvard degree. And it's not like you can take, like Brian Burke always said, like, Tony, you can't take Harvard classes in the summer. Like that's just not, you don't do that. So he's not getting ahead. He's not doing that. He just, uh, you know, you have to, you actually have to be on campus. I guess Berkey was saying, you can't do it online. You can't do you know, maybe like some other things. And I don't even know if that's true. That's what Berkey told me. So, you know, I just felt like to get that Harvard degree, as good a student as he was, uh, it's a great situation. He liked it there. You know, you're, you're, you're kind of playing, you know, chicken going back and forth, but mm-hmm. for him to say, you know, that's what the plan was. I mean, he didn't come to the last development camp either. He kind of Heisman us, us on that also. So, the writing was a little bit on the wall, you know, what I, would I've loved to kept them for sure, for sure. But to get that yeah. deal pushed over the line, I think with Carolina, you know, Brad 
even though he didn't want to do it either, it, it just was uh, something we felt like, hey, these are two very, very good players that are going to be part of our team for a while. And, you know, even though we don't want to do it, let's let's uh, let's do it. But it, it's tough to watch him. You know, you get a little <laughs> – especially when he comes in here and has, what, do you have four points? I wasn't here for the game, but that hmm. made me a little crazy. I would have liked to play it against him <laughs> just to get a little <laughs> shot maybe. <laughs> but, you know what? I mean – that's the world we live in. It's a business. Everybody's doing what they feel is best for themselves. And, uh, you know, I would love to kind of knock that loophole away in the next CBA. I mean, that would be one thing I would like for, for us to put in there. If you draft a player and you're going to sign a player and you're going to give them the max of what you can give, I think you should be rewarded for that good pick, not just say, uh, you know what, I'm going to go four years of Harvard and then leave. That rubs me a little the wrong way, but – you know what? That's the rule right now, so we have to live with it. It's part one of our chat with Flames Assistant General Manager Craig Conroy, the one and only, some outstanding stuff there, and he hasn't even really started telling any stories. Remember yesterday, Logan's question on Wild Card Wednesday about what player you hated growing up, and I said Brett Hull? Well, I don't hate him anymore. The, one of the greatest goal scorers in NHL history. Conroy got two years with Brett Hall, has some great Brett Hall stories and some uh, more great stuff. Part two of our chat with Flames AGM, Craig Conroy, coming up next. The Sports Drive at 5 is underway with Pinder and Steinberg, Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Sports Drive at 5, brought to you by Pete the Plumber, the superheroes of plumbing and heating. Call 403-257-1766 or find them at PeteThePlumber.com for all your plumbing and heating needs. Welcome back to the Sports Drive at 5. Craig Conroy sharing a ton of time with us today. Let's get into part two, a little less about player development, development camps, and exactly how they got these two free agent defenders signed. A little more storytelling from back in the day where Pat Need some clarification about one of the greatest snipers of all time, Connie. Uh, I and and to to totally switch gears on you. I was thinking about this after you joined us last week and and told some unbelievable stories. I, I was thinking about this because you said, "Well, I got some Brett Hall stories," and and I definitely want to get to those. But you know, Brett Hall was kind of the the honorary mascot of the run to the Stanley Cup last year for the Blues. You kind of had your coming out party in St. Louis. Like once once you moved there from Montreal and became a member of the Blues, that's when Craig Conroy, the the Selkie Trophy finalist or or the guy that could be looked at as one of the best two-way forwards in the NHL. That's where it really started for you. So, w- was it like, I know it wasn't your team and last year was disappointing the exit in the playoffs, but was did you have a a little bit in you that felt kind of nice for St. Louis being able to win that Stanley Cup last spring? Oh, 100%. I mean, that's, uh, you know, I mean, hey, obviously, first and foremost, the Calgary Flames. I mean, I wanted to win the Cup. But once we were out and it was heading the way it was, that city, you know, is a great sports town. The way they treat people, the way, uh, you know, it's a Midwest city. that They love their sports. I mean, whether it was in baseball, when the Rams were there, you know, they just, they just support you. So, you know, and there's such a loyal following with St. Louis. I mean, when I go back, there's still, you know, so many people that when I was playing there, they're still there at every game cheering them on, you know. So that's uh, for the city to be able to win that and all the alumni and all the guys that have been a part of it that are still there, 
you know, I thought it was nice the way they treated everybody. You know, they just, with the players, with the family, with all the workers, everything they did was first class. And then they, they also went with Holly and Chaser and that whole crew. Uh, you know, it was just exciting to see the city. And they, they deserved it. You know, this year I was hoping it was going to be uh, the Calgary Flames. But uh, if it could have been anybody, I was so happy for them. It's, it's, it's a great spot and a great city. So you you got to St. Louis in Brett Hull's, I guess it would have been his second last year. You spent two years as a teammate of Hull uh, before he left to go join the Dallas Stars, and, and we all know what happened once he got to Dallas. So you spent, you spent two years with Hull, right? Yeah. You know, and the one thing, like, every, Hull, he kind of had that reputation, like, you know, he's brash, he's loud, everything. So you're, you're going in there and you're thinking, don't want to get on his bad side, pretty much St. Louis is Brett Hall. You know, the only reason the Blues are still there is because of Brett Hall. So, you know, I roll in, and we're in Colorado, and I'm thinking, okay. And sure enough, I'm sitting there, I'm, you know, I came from the minors too, so I didn't even, I wasn't even up in, in Montreal. I was going from Fredericton. I get into to Colorado for the game, and I'm sitting there, and obviously, I don't have any gloves. Like I, they give me a brand new pair of gloves. Holly has about five or six pairs at all time with him, so he switches them every period, and he just has a lot of pairs of gloves. So he he walked over and you know he said, "Hey, hey kid, what's going on? Want to use one of my pair of gloves?" I'm like, "What?" I'm like, "Oh, okay, sure." So Holly gives me the gloves. I score that game. I don't think he scored. He's like, I'm going to need to take those gloves back. I'm like, no way you're getting these gloves back. <laughs> if I'm one for one, you're never getting the gloves back. But you know what? That's what that's what made Holly such a good guy. He always let you know where you stood in the, you know, with him. And, and he, was just a, he was actually a great teammate. I mean, I think people think, you know, they hear, oh, Brett Hall, this, Brett he was an unbelievable teammate, and the one thing he always just wanted to win and do what was best for the team. I mean, obviously, he loved scoring goals more than anything. But with that said, he was uh, he was a lot of fun, and you know, to only be able to play, it was disappointing when he left because you're like, oh, you're playing with one of the greatest goal scorers of all time. Even though it wasn't on his line, it was fun to watch every moment, every time he got on the ice because you thought he could score from anywhere, at any time. So it was it was pretty special. When you, because you then would then go to Calgary and and spent a lot of time with with Jerome and in a lot of ways it kind of went from Brett Hull as the best pure goal scorer in the NHL. I mean, what he had like seventy three years in a row, and the game changed obviously. And from Hull, the torch was kind of passed to Jerome in terms of being the preeminent goal scorer in the NHL for a period of time. And, and for the longest time, Jerome was the, the game's best goal scorer. Obviously different players, but in terms of similarities, did you see any between Brett Hull and Jerome McGinley? You know what? I mean, Jerome did a lot of times with, like, when he'd go to the net, he would go to the net with, I'm going to shoot the puck myself. I'm going to knock every defenseman. You know, he did it with raw power. And, you know, even though they both have great shots, Holly just had that, that quick release that, that you couldn't, you know, you're like, are you kidding me? Like, the way he could shoot at his one-timer, I always kind of joke around that. Jerome's one-timer was like four inches wide. Holly's was four feet wide. He could get a puck in front of him, behind him. It didn't matter. Wherever it was, if it was anywhere around, Holly, he could get in. I'm like, Jerome's one-timer had to be in the wheelhouse. He'd be like, 
<laughs> he'll probably kill me when he hears this. Uh, but that that was the difference. I mean, I think. But Jerome, when he went to the net, I mean, he was gonna. He wasn't gonna be denied. You know, he would. He would literally have two, three guys on his back, and he would. You know, I'm gonna score. You know, and if it's a rebound, he's getting the rebound. He's out battling. But they both have that hunger to score goals, like you can't believe. I mean, no matter what happens, every time they go on the ice, they're planning on you know, on scoring, but they both had great shots. I mean, the release, you know, the way they kind of get into open and quiet areas. The one thing about Jerome was I used to think, if I just can lay it to an area and he has to out-compete a guy, I'm I'm putting my money on Jerome every time. You know, he'd say, oh, it doesn't have to be right on my stick. Just lay it to a spot. I'll out-battle I'll, I'll somebody. Where Holly, I think, was more, he'd sit in the lead sometimes, find those areas, and then once it's on a stick, it's in the net before, before you know it. You know, he, he just... And he could pick corners and, you know, to see that shot, I had never seen him quite like it. It's one of those where you're like, wow, you know, it's on a stick and off the stick as quick as anything I've ever seen, you know. And even without McKinnis there, it's just different. His was more snapshot quick, but his one-timer was as good as anybody I've ever seen. And Jerome's was too. I mean, that was the thing, the power they could get off it, but the hunger to score goals was in both of those guys. Okay, I, I, I got to take you back to – Right when you got to St. Louis uh, in 1996, it would have been, correct me if I'm wrong, but that would have been your first year there would have been, your first training camp there would have been weeks after the U.S. won the World Cup in Canada, right? No, so uh, was was it that year? I think it was that year. You're right. So I actually was in, no, that's the year I got traded in there. Okay, so you you started with Montreal and then got traded there. I was in Montreal watching the games. In I was at the games live watching the games in training camp. Like I went up there. Yeah, so I was, and then on uh, I think it was October when I got traded. That was uh, you know that's when it started for me there. Okay, yeah, October 1996 is when you got traded to St. Louis. So, yeah, you would have been in Montreal for training camp that year. Because we had this question yesterday. We were having a, a conversation, and uh, we were talking about players growing up that you absolutely hated. And anybody who played on that 1996 team, uh, a 14-year-old Pat absolutely despised. And number one on that list was Brett Hull because here's a guy born in Canada playing in red, white, and blue. You're like, how can this trader do that to Canada? This was what went through my mind when I was 13, 14 years old. So I need you to talk to you know, um, early teen Pat and tell me why I shouldn't have hated Brett Hull. You know what? I think Hully wanted to play for Canada. They never invited him to anything. That was what it came down to. They just never invited him. And then he kind of said, you know what? I have an opportunity to play with the U.S. And I think once he made that allegiance and he moved over, there was no going back. I mean, that would be... Hey, I love living in Canada. I love it, but I'm still American. You know, I still played for the American Olympic team. I still did all the stuff for USA. So it's a fine line. You know, that's where it is. But I don't think he did it out of, you know, he said, hey, I had to make a decision. One team was offering me a chance to play. The other one really wasn't when I was young. So I went with the opportunity. You know, it's it's got to be interesting for like, you know, the foots and all of these different people, how to pick nowadays, because it seems like it's even more than when Holly did it. But uh, you know, he was kind of the first one that said, oh, "I got to make a, I got to make a decision," and you know, I was, and he made it. But I don't think he ever did it out of spite or anything like that. He just like I had a chance to play for one, and I didn't for the other. So, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go with the, I'm gonna play. 
I, I I do know the reasons why. I, I yeah. this was irrational, <laughs> young Pat. As I've I've come I've come to be quite uh, you know a guy who can score eighty goals in a season. Uh, I actually I'm a big fan of of Hulls now. I'm like that guy was an absolute beast. Just at the time when you're uh, all wrapped up in the flag cheering for Canada and these Yanks beat Canada in Canada in 1996. Was he was he a guy that that you looked up to? Like you were still pretty young at that time. Was was Brett Hull? big for you as you were breaking into pro hockey oh for sure i mean you, you think about when he played at Duluth, like you know you'd see him holding on the sports industry the three sticks the shot all of that kind of stuff so i mean he was kind of yeah he's a legend you know and, and that's just like with him mcdonald just that whole team when you kind of look back and you say mike richter actually went to northwood where i went to you know prep school so you're kind of rooting for him i mean and these are guys you've been watching and you know how good they are and what they've been doing in the NHL, and then, uh, you know, to see them in that, to see how they stack up against Canada, who I thought had the best team, and to be able to come away and win that thing, it was unbelievable. It was so good for USA Hockey. I know, uh, you know, it's like when the Olympics happen in 80. It's Those are certain points in the to say, hey, you know what, we have arrived with the NHL players. We're, we're right there with them on the, on the best stage in the world, you know, to say, okay, look, U.S. just won. That. It just seems like I'd, I'd love to know the spike in hockey in the U.S. at that point, uh, you know, after that, because it was such a big deal. I mean, it really was to be able to beat Canada in Canada. That's uh, it's unheard of, really. Yeah. Craig Conroy's with us. Ryan, got anything uh, got anything as we start to wrap things up with Mr. Conroy? Totally. I got two more for you. Uh, the okay. last time we saw something close to best on best was the World Cup a couple, what was it, three falls ago. And I always sort of yep. felt like the Americans got the short end of the stick there because all those great young American players like Matthews and Eichel were on that U21 team or whatever it was. If you had Canada, USA, U23, if you had Canada, USA best on best right now, how competitive is it? And if you had to look at the younger age groups, how much uh, has that gap closed? Or would you say the Americans developmentally are going to be churning out more players moving forward, just given how much the the game can grow in new markets there where everyone's pretty much exposed to hockey in Canada? Well, I think, you know, the big thing is like markets, like when I got to L.A., I couldn't believe the program in L.A., like how, you know, it's just growing everywhere and there's just so many more people that you definitely feel like, hey, if we continue to go at this pace, you know, they sh- we should, U.S. should be able to out-muscle, but it's amazing. I mean, you look at the young guys, I mean, obviously McDavid's best player in the world right now. You know, that's just, it's just a matter of, you know, you don't have to be just to watch the game to see what he can do, but it, it would be fun. And, and that's the thing. I think we've closed the gap. I think, uh, you know, on any given night, and there's not just us with Sweden and, you know, the Russians. Anybody could win. They really could. I think that's how it's kind of came back around. But it's amazing to think about all of that time ago, you know, maybe this was something that jump-started it. But with all the programs, with all the pro guys that have stayed down, you know, the NHLers from Canada, mostly Canadians, are kind of getting all these programs going. They did it in St. Louis to see all those guys in the first round. That's because Al McKinnis, Keith Kachuk, and that whole crew, Kelly Chase, mm-hmm. that whole – group of guys i think brownie was there too you know so that's the way it's really been being built up there and the u.s is really trying to you know what i'm on the usa program and they're definitely trying, they, they take stuff that the canadians do i mean 
that's the one thing about Canada. Everything's first class, and they do things right. So, I mean, if you can kind of emulate what they're doing, and then on that bigger population, you're hoping you can draw. But to see Hughes last year, to see that under-18 program have all those first-rounders, it's definitely coming. But, uh, you know, there's a lot of great players in Canada, too, and really across the world right now. Yeah, I'd sign up for any of that. Give us a best of seven between the two. I'd watch that. Last one for you, Connie. Uh, Do you have a a favorite or a a most proud story? Uh, You're now into your 10th year as a manager, not a player. In terms of a draft, maybe development, maybe it's both. Is there a story of a player in this organization or one that was that you're most proud about how you guys as an organization groomed them and turned them into who they are? That's interesting. I think I think the player I'm the most proud of that came in and did the most, like from where he was to where he is now, and he's actually no longer is probably Garner Hathaway. I mean, for a guy to come in on an American League deal and to work the way he did in the in you know in the American League, earn an NHL contract, you know, play so well last few years in the NHL, and then and then get his deal to you know in Washington, uh, it's pretty amazing. I mean, obviously. Uh, the drafting of Johnny Gaudreau and, you know, just the, the emotions when I went in and, and got him. And I was a little nervous. I was not going to get him for a while, but, uh, you know, finally got that done, got him back in and, and played in that first game in Vancouver. I mean, those are definitely special, but there's so many, you know, there's so many things that you kind of look back on that it's just so much fun. You know, you say, okay, hey, we're building something here. You know, and obviously uh, to win the one playoff round against Vancouver was the most exciting for the whole team, but I'm hoping we can do more of that. That's the, that's the real ultimate goal is to win playoff rounds and win a Stanley Cup for the Calgary Flames. You know, that's why I'm surprised we traded Brahal. I asked, cause I knew I was coming <laughs> on. I asked uh, yesterday, I talked to him on the phone <laughs> and I said, why did he, he go, we did not want to trade Brahal. He had like 43 <laughs> goals or whatever in the, in the American league when he was down there. But, we felt we had a chance to win a Stanley Cup, so we made the deal. He goes, we did not want to put Brett Hall in the deal 100%, but that was the only thing to get it done. And we felt like with Ramage and everything, all the other pieces, we had to do it. Because I was like, oh, my God, Chopper. He goes, well, we won the Cup. That was the goal. <laughs> what, Peter Marr, Peter Marr to – Peter Marr always says that if they didn't have Ramage, they wouldn't have won that Stanley Cup in 1989. So that's that's one that, like, as much as you don't want to give up one of the best goal scorers in, in league history, you did get a cup out of it. And as Pinder said, flags flags fly forever, right? Yeah, and that's and that's what Al said. He said, hey, we come on, we did not want to give this guy up. We wanted to keep him here, but we thought we had a team that had a chance to win, and we had to try. You know, he goes, if you're in that position, you feel that comfortable. Yeah, I'm like, oh, I don't know if I would have done a chopper. <laughs> He's like, well, yeah, now you know you <laughs> 700 goals in the week, so it's easy. I'm like, good point. <laughs> good point. But I got one Holly Steinle. I got a million Holly stories, but one that I love. I think we had, like, we're playing San Jose. Pierre Turge on him got a two-on-one early in the first period. And Pierre, for whatever reason, kind of looked Holly off and shot it. And the goalie made the save. You know, so Holly gets back to the bench and he's like, oh, he's like 513 goals, 310 or whatever Pierre had at the time. And I'm kind of, I'm kind of listening on the bench. He's like, you know, feels just, I guess I'm just a decoy out there. He's like, unbelievable. You didn't even look over. You weren't even thinking about passing. Anymore. 
So he's kind of giving them, you know, grief on the bench. So I'm thinking, oh, third period, they get another two-on-one. Pierre comes down. The, the defenseman slides across kind of like the way Bobby used to have our D come across. So Pierre kind of threw it over his, uh, over his legs and pants. And, uh, you know, it was probably right around shin high. And, I mean, like clockwork, Hundley took that thing out of the air. Top corner, and you're like, wow, that's a goal. Like, it's probably a foot and a half off the ice, but he shot it like it was on the ice and it was in the net before before he even blinked. So as we're coming back, I'm like, oh, what's Holly going to do? Because he always has something to say. So we're sitting there. He sits down, and he's kind of looking. He's like, uh, you know, he looks down and back and forth. He goes, I never said it had to be a good pass. <laughs> the whole bench just cracks up. <laughs> you know? But that's, that's Holly to a G. I mean, he... I couldn't wait to hear what he was going to say every time in the bench. Like, you know what? He just is quick-witted, smart, and funny, and uh, <laughs> and he could score goals like nobody, nobody I've ever seen. So it was always fun to kind of see what he's going to do. I just wish we would have been able to keep him in St. Louis, and uh, you know he would have won the cup there because that would have been the ultimate, uh, the ultimate thing for the Blues for sure. That's awesome. Good stuff, Craig. Really appreciate it, as always. Uh, hopefully uh, we helped know. kill some of your day. You certainly helped kill uh, some of ours. Uh, we really appreciate it today. Uh, thanks for having me on, guys. Take care. Once again, huge thanks to Craig Conroy, Calgary Flames AGM. Second straight week, he's done 40 minutes on the phone with us. Uh, he seems like he's enjoying it, and we are absolutely loving it. So thanks again to Connie for uh, telling some stories, some uh, good stuff on college free agency, some great stuff on Brett Hull, and a whole lot more. Uh, some good stuff about, you know, Rye asked him that question near the end about some of the things that he's proudest of since he's taken over as being an AGM. If you missed any of that conversation, if you joined in lane uh, late, it's up at sportsnet.ca slash 960 right now. Craig joined us on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline. The bar may be closed to patrons during these trying times, but they are open for business. Pickup delivery available by calling 403-248-3344. That's 248-3344. Battle of Alberta Rewind is coming up next. Flames Oilers from January 29th. Enjoy the fights. Enjoy the shootout game. Enjoy the stick flip. It's all coming in your way next. For Logan Gordon and Ryan Pinder, my name is Pat Steinberg. That'll wrap us up on the Sports Drive at 5 and Pinder and Steinberg, Sportsnet 960, The Fan.